What about now? Can you hear me? Oh, I see the thing moving. Yeah, is it working? Something working? <laughs> I can see your uh, thing ticking. Got it. Is it working now? Yep. I just had to change like 40 audio options. We're, we're good. No big deal. Oh, sweet. How far are we in, kids? 12 minutes to get some audio. We're doing great now. <laughs> no big deal. Nice. It'll work for next time now. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, start over. Uh, ladies right. and gentlemen, I have Jeff Evans of Evans Tuning and Evans Tuning Academy. You, you do online uh classes for standalones of all uh walks of life and you have separate sections for uh like i said earlier like drive-by wire uh specifically for certain ecus uh, etc and then uh you own Je evans tuning and everything else do you want to go into and i think we went well we went over this but you said you don't really have anything else to say that's your primary job and yeah then, uh, it's a, it, school's my full-time deal Still do the tuning on, you know, I still have it, still still tuning, but just not, you know, full time, so. Yeah. Everyone's like, what do you do for a living again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I tell everybody I have a school and they get all excited. And then I tell them about, you know, programming computers and they're like, oh. Yeah. And this is like a complete blank look on the face, just like, yeah, I lost you. All right, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. It's the first time I... I was just explaining to you this is the first time I have to deal with this free conference software because all the other guys uh, shut all their stuff off at like 30-some minutes. So, And... Oh, uh, what was your first car and how did you get into cars? That's what we were at before everyone uh, said. Okay. My... I had a 1996 Honda Prelude Si. Automatic. <laughs> and uh it was pretty lame but i thought it was the, the hot shit i put an exhaust on it it's like a dc sports exhaust and put some uh some sweet rims on it <laughs> nice and then uh i realized that i was like 16 i think when i got that thing and i realized it was pretty lame because it was auto and then the swap um the b-series swap started like popping up in like 98 and that was like the new hot thing. And it wasn't like on the East Coast here, you couldn't get anything. Like it wasn't, no one knew anything about it. And um, I think it was like 90, 99 or 2000, I got a B16 swap and I found a hatchback, like a 92, 95 style hatchback. And I swapped the motor in it and um, put a, a DFI on it, Excel DFI. And Got it running, but it ran like shit. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, there was no information. No one, you know, it was a disaster. And um, I think we, it was like after two or three months of trying to get it to run right on the DFI. Um, and everything was DOS-based. So you get these like shitty old laptops that are like, you know, total garbage, floppy disk. and uh, Something like a, a Zenith. That's how you know it's an old laptop. I think I had the IBM smart, smart pad or smart. What are the, the ones with the little ball that you push on with the, like the, like a mouse. Well, they, like they had, actually, people love that. And I've had yeah. some even like three years ago, brand new that still have the, the little, the little eraser tip in there. Yeah, yeah. Some people, they have to have that. I didn't mind it, but it was like, so it was old school, but we put a, 
They put a Haltech, like a E E K nine E K nine system E K six, the old school DOS stuff. I put that on the Civic, got it running right. Then I turboed it, and again had no idea what the hell I was doing, and uh, got it running fairly well. And I went like, this was like two thousand and one, maybe two thousand and two. I went to uh, I don't know if it was Island. I don't know what drag strip it was anymore. That's the been, one that's closest it, to us. It's like it's probably forty minutes from you now. It was either Maple Grove or Island. I can't remember because Maple was, Grove is where Amish people are, and Island is where the meth heads yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the track, but I ended up running like a twelve, like a low twelve second quarter mile, like one hundred and twenty with the thing, and which was fast for like that that time period, and uh, it was right around the time where Honda came out with their their uh, S. No, it was a stage system, stage two, three, and four. It was like a chip, like a like a little piggyback module. We put the EEPROM chip in to communicate. So we ditched that. We ditched the Haltech and put the Honda in, put the factory computer back in. Was that like a I moat saw... where you use an external thing to tune and then you can burn it or something like that? Similar kind of idea. Um, and it ran better with it probably because it's just easy. It's like factory ECU, you know, you just like, so we learned that, tuned that. And uh, that was when I was in college. I was going to school for mechanical engineering and I didn't really want to do that, but I just, I don't know, I figured that was what I needed to do. And um, I graduated in 2004 and I'd been tuning cars just for like people on the side. I'd meet up with people. We used to use a dyno down in Philly, um, outside of Philly area. And we used to drive down, we'd like street tune the cars, meet up at the dyno. I'd have like five cars meet up there. We, you know, run out the dyno for a few hours. Um, really just like doing the pools and just getting them all worked out or whatever. And then uh, we did that for a while and sort of built up kind of like local, you know, everybody kind of knew who I was and uh, graduated. And I just didn't want to do engineering. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do tuning. <laughs> I bought, I bought the dyno. I bought the dyno pack. Um, and that was like the hub dyno. And people were like, that thing's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm I like, remember no, this thing's great. I didn't know those existed until I saw yours. And that's yeah. when I remember first coming to your shop for having like two or three of my friends having Hondas tuned. And it was like a shed somewhere. I can't remember. It is in the back of a, uh, so we had, there's a guy who did auto body restoration and he was a friend of my dad's and this lady lived up the street from him and they were like friends with each other. And she had this garage in the back of her house that was facing a cornfield and it was empty. So I remember the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody does. They like, came to the shop. We were there for like so, seven or eight years. Someone, one of the questions was like, I remember peeing in the cornfield or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was there was a cornfield behind us, a whole farm. It was it was great. I mean, the neighbors hated me, and because uh, it wasn't it wasn't like commercial, so we we were there for a good seven eight years. And um, I mean, I remember one time because it was only you could only fit three cars in this little garage. At one time, there was like twenty cars sitting out in the drive in the in the actual like in the you know the driveway. This lady was like, "This is ridiculous. Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know." So we ended up getting kicked out of there. The township ran us out. They, uh, 
because we didn't own the property, we, hmm. we had to leave. And then that's where I ended up at my shop that I have now. They've been there for 12 years. Hmm. So the, the, the one up in Mount Bethel. So it's like a progression that forced me to move out of there. I wasn't ready to move out. I liked it there, but <laughs> had to move to the bigger shop. But yeah, I mean, I didn't start it with the intentions of being a, a tuner. People ask me that all the time. They're like, you know, do you, did you start off, you know, this was like a dream job. I'm like, no, this was like, kind of like fuck around. This was just, I had fun doing it. It interests me and uh, it turned into this. It was just progressively just kind of snowballed. So I feel I like know. that's most tuners. They're like, I just started doing it for my friends and then all of a sudden I'm doing it for other people. And then, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, it's the best way if you can turn like something that's a passion into, you know, business, it's, you know, you, you, you're like super excited about it and it's you know, still, I'm, I still like tuning cars, although sometimes I hate it, but <laughs> you know, it has its ups and downs. So. And then, yeah. uh, uh, my, my last one after I always ask people like, uh, their car and their businesses, how, how did you hear a sloppy? I know we've, we've had an interview before, where we shot one yeah. at your, cause people are like, Oh wow. You're finally having Evans on. I'm like, well, I made a terrible audio video a long time ago. We shot it in the front office with the all. Yeah. It was like echo. Crazy. It was empty. And yeah, it was terrible. And I'm like, wow, I didn't, yeah. I don't have external mics or anything like that. So whatever. But yeah. how did you hear of uh sloppy mechanics and what is your, is what is your view? Is it good or bad for automotive or whatever? I mean, it's, uh... Honestly, I don't, I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff that goes on in the industry. Like I know you, you know, you guys, you have the the sloppy thing and I, it's cool. It's like a DIY kind of, you know, from what I can tell, I haven't really sat down and went through like any of that. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's funny. Sometimes if I, if I'm Googling something, I think I was Googling a, a GM part number for a map sensor. The four and, bar? Like, like a three bar maybe or something oh and yeah sudden, my wiki like, shows up yeah it shows up and i'm like oh no shit look at that that's cool this is like maybe a year ago i'm like oh it's not, that's it's pretty helpful <laughs> so yeah it's good i mean if you're helping everyone out it's you know, not a bad thing yeah it's i mean it's more of a satire question than yeah. it is to yeah you just you don't care and you don't have time to i don't be on the internet so, that much i i did yeah i try to avoid it yeah no kidding <laughs> I know we're friends on Facebook and I don't think you've ever made a post <laughs> or you always just leave me out of them. It's fine either way. I, I, I haven't posted on Facebook in like, I'm going to say maybe four or five years. Yeah, that's what it seems I don't know. like. I, I, I like, I just try to avoid it. <laughs> There's no reason to, honestly. Well, I get the crazy stuff. Like if I go and I start posting on Facebook. You want to say hi? I, when, your next thing is going to be what you need to ask. You want to just ask him quick? I don't okay, okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, Jamie said she likes your shirts. I guess you gave her... Well, I know you gave her a shirt or two. Uh, she said hers is getting worn out. She likes it so much. So. Oh, the... Like, the the original ones that we had made yeah whatever the, the ones, shirt material was she is in love with the, it those are made by a company called threadbird huh no they're they're american threadbird was the place that printed it for us it's american apparel 
That's actually this shirt I have on right now. Oh, okay. It's like the best. They're like super comfortable. I think that's what she uses to make our shirts. But for whatever reason, that batch is like silk or whatever. I, I still have them. I still wear them. <laughs> yeah, they're great. I'll pay for a, a five pack. We could send them to her. <laughs> that's what I use. American but Apparel. About his shirts specifically. That's what I said. I lived in them. Yeah, I still have the mine. same Great. thing. That he says he still has some. We need to buy them. <laughs> Dear. <laughs> we need to yeah. buy them. She's pointing at them. me. <laughs> Amazing shirts. Okay. He said he has yeah. them. He wears them. They're the legit the best shirts we've ever had made. What? I'm listening to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other question. But yeah, the and then yeah, uh, I avoid fa- I avoid Facebook. If I post on Facebook, I get like literally people send me messages on Facebook, and every probably once a year I go and look at my messages, and there's like insane amounts. It's all and it's like the, and garbage, right? Well, yeah, but it's it's crazy stuff. I'm like, I don't want to have a conversation about some weird thing. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning. They're sending the message. Like, I'm glad I never saw any of this stuff. Just like it's like asking crazy stuff about cars. I'm like, I, I can't. Uh, no, yeah, I, every one of my friends in the industry is like, message my business page, don't, and I'm oh, like, well, no. you're all entertaining it, so it's your yeah, fault. Yeah, no, nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, any thoughts on doing a series using different dinos? The Dynapack is a great hub dino, but hard to find one to rent. Maybe a series mm-hmm. of how-to with different dinos in the shop area? Or in shops in the area, sorry. I mean, I have a main line now. Oh, nice. Um, That's big boy stuff. Yeah. the uh, Actually, it's still cheaper than a Dynapack by a lot. Oh. Because I, 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 my reason for switching from the Dynapack to the main line was because my Dynapack is 20 years old. It still works. And I've used it probably more than anybody else. I can, <laughs> I mean, I might be wrong, but like, there, you know, I, I mean, I had, I, that thing was on almost every day for years and years and years. Um, but I just get concerned with, uh, you know, wear and tear, like nothing's ever broken on it. That was not a fault of my own, like breaking a cable or something stupid with the Dynapack. But I just got to the point where it got me nervous. So last year I ordered a mainline because, you know, if, you, if a Dyna goes down, you're not getting a Dyna for six months to a year now. Yeah. 100%. It took me six, six months to get the, the mainline here. And then another few months to get it, wired into the three phase of the building and get it operational and uh, you're almost a year in in case your other one broke yeah you would yeah been, you yeah been out forever yeah so i just looked at it like this thing is i have to have it you know so you'd have to I be calling put... me to put stuff on the, the paving <laughs> company I have to give you a key oh, and an alarm still code use, you still use that place Do you oh yeah yep that's, that's my i've been friends with troy for like 25 years nice so yeah, we would just bring bullshit there all the time, and he got tired of it. And he's like, "Dude, I think a year in, he's like, we're putting like 1984 LTDs on with nitrous, and he doesn't <laughs> care about that stuff at all. He has nice yeah. cars. He couldn't care less. So he's like, Matt, here's keys and an alarm code. Just put this bullshit nice. on and get it out of here. Don't call me anymore. Yeah, yeah. and that's nice. kind of how it is since uh, since yeah. then. It's the same. Yeah." Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's still there, I mean, still working. Yeah, it's a Dino Jet, right? Yeah, like one of the first two twenty fours. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've been on dyno jets. When I used to travel in Tune, into Hawaii, Colorado, a bunch of places, Arizona, we would try to, I would try to get a hub dyno, but no one would ever have any kind of hub dyno. So it would be on a dyno jet. It just sketches me out. If you're used to one type of dyno, um, you know, you go on like the, 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 the jets, it's just like the rollers spinning down, you know, after you make a run. Oh yeah. It just I mean, yours, freaks me out. that was the first time I've ever seen anything like that. And I'm like, well, yeah. that's neat because yeah. yeah, it just eliminates the traction and you know, you can do all the awesome mm-hmm. stuff, but I was like, where do you even get this? Like <laughs> New Zealand and you wait forever for it. But yeah, the, the, the main line, even fully loaded was like, 50 grand cheaper than the, than the comparable wow. Dynapack. Yeah. That's incredible. So, That's yeah, it was a substantial amount, amount of money. Yeah. So Dynapack's been great though. I mean, if, you know, I've had it for 20 years, like I said, I can't, they've, I was 10 years outside of the warranty on that dyno and the PC had a problem. They were ready to overnight me a PC from, they have a, they have a U.S. office and the U.S. office was like, Hey, we know you need to get back up and running. 10 years outside of warranty, they were ready to overnight me at PC to keep the, keep me going for the rest of the week for tuning. And you can't, wow, you can't ask for much more than that. So they're great to deal with. So is mainline. They're good too. So I can, I've heard can that about mainline is it's just, you can just call them and they're, yeah. they're on there. The one guy yeah. I've had on the show frequently, uh, Joe, from Tempest Motorsports. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He has a main line, and he just bought the hubs for the front now, so he can do four wheel drive. Oh and nice. He, he has said the same thing. He he has used like ten dynos a lot, and yeah. that one's the yeah. best by far. It's super easy to set up and get going. Like in comparison, it, there was a little learning curve for me, like I because I got the thing, and I'm like damn it. I know what I want. Cause I'm like used to the Dynapack. You know, I can just get on that thing. I can keystroke it without even looking at the screen and get to do what I want it to do and, you know, load the car up and do the pools. And with the main line, it's, it was a little learning curve, but honestly, the main line is easier to deal with, to set a car up and get it going than the Dynapack. The only thing I don't like about the main line is if you're doing a lot of comparisons, so you do a pool to pool comparison. So if you're mapping out variable cam and you're trying to compare torque curves, you can do a comparison, but it's just not as nicely integrated as a Dynapack. It's just not as you have to go through like extra screens and open a bunch of stuff. Like up. a Mustang like, Dyno, it is. Yeah, it is painful yeah. to get an overlay, and then yep. it's not easy to scale the screen. I hate man. Yeah. I'm, I'm always like, yeah. just throw it away. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what the difference is because it's yeah. it's ugly and it takes ten minutes, and yeah. I've lost interest. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah, Dyno Jet yeah. is king for that. Like the new software is not anywhere near that easy. The old one is literally like you put the car on and you floor it, and it just makes yeah. the files wherever you put them, and then you can you can fire off twelve of them in a row and look at all of them in one second. Yep, that's probably the software I'm familiar with when I have used it in the past. But yeah, yeah. old Wimpack just... Seven. Yes. Yep. It just freaks me out with the damn roller winding down. I just get. There was actually a guy that we knew from racing. Um, he was doing a Baja car. He was actually a drag import drag racer. And he was doing a Baja car, uh, chassis car. And he was on a jet. And I don't know the whole details of what happened, but he had long hair. And he went to check the car as he never shut the roller at the brake. His head got sucked in and got killed. And his hair got caught. I'm like... I can't, oh. I can't even think about it. Like I was ever, hoping ever since... you would say like he got scalped, but yeah, that no, is far worse. He, 
It's so bad. It was crazy. The hair, but man. Ever since then, machining and stuff like that, or loose oh, clothes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't reach over the lathe. Never. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, someone else just said Wimpep Eight is poo. Yeah, I don't. I don't like I it. it. I'm gonna tune on uh, Wimpep Eight Dino Sunday, and I'm already like, uh, the guy will set up the software for me. I don't even want to touch it. Meh. Yeah, hub versus roller. I would like to know what to look out as far as putting something on a hub next year. I think the biggest thing that I have seen. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this on going from a dyno jet, but I've always noticed if I get everything dialed in on dyno jet, let's say I'm doing third gear, fourth gear pool, you go out on the street, the air fuel is never the same. Hmm. It always is off by half point, three quarter point. It drives me nuts. And if I'm on a, if I'm on the dyna pack or I'm on the main line, it's always dead nuts on. Like I can always get a good if I put the yeah the load is much yeah better. you can. You can specify like the the ramp rate, which is your your time under load, and uh, it's always pretty damn good. Usually, I get like a six to eight second sweep, which is pretty good for like an average like uh, total time to do a pull, you know. And and it's comparable to like the load you see like on like the actual the road, but it drives me nuts. So I've noticed it. Uh, my I mean, mine's inertia only. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's what I, I haven't purchased it or anything. I'm in a lucky position there. But yeah. the other one I'm tuning on, uh, Maple Grove Automotive on Sunday, uh, they have a load bearing dyno jet. And yeah, I know okay. the difference. Uh, well, immediately you can simulate like 60,000 pounds or something ridiculous. Like, uh, oh, wow. I think it'll, it'll break a thousand horsepower, but again, you're limited by traction, not like yours. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, I notice a huge difference on those. Uh, I've learned enough at least to know. I've o- I only have a small variation with mostly what I do, but I've learned enough to know to just keep it safe on both ends. I mean, right. I might tune for max power and then pull it back a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I think everybody does that unless it's your yeah. friend that wants all of it. He yeah, wants yeah. to gut it or yeah, yeah he doesn't <laughs> care. So yeah. there's people I know that are like, whatever happens. And I'm like, okay. I know you don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I noticed yeah. a little bit of that, but I know it's because there's no load cell. And then obviously I have some big boy turbo autos that only spin the drum like one second. But yeah, oh, wow. you are. It just seems like that. They're just like, what? And you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah, it's yeah. a little bit longer than that, but it seems instantaneous if you watch a video. Yeah. But yeah. it's at least enough to ballpark a 1500 horsepower car. And then. Yeah. You're gonna end up track tuning it anyway. You so have to, yeah. Yeah, that's whatever. Whatever I would do, all the drag stuff. We get on the dyno, sort it out. <clears throat> I'd get spark time and close. Get air fuel spot on. Go to the track. I'm always tweaking it. Yeah, it's just, you know, I don't well, get too the stressed. People, the people that are good at that, that I do the main tuning on, they know to like if the weather's good to tr- toss a degree in it or what. They're messing around mm-hmm. with it anyway. After mm-hmm. it's hashed out for like, you know, best horsepower per degree and everything else. Yeah. All right. What is, uh, what's your thoughts on tuning a stock block versus built engines? Yeah, I mean, that's two different questions, like stock block versus built. 
because I think he means SBE, like stock bottom end Honda or LS versus a Pistons Rods one. I can say that I can actually, it's actually kind of funny with, I've been over the years and I had this discussion with um, one of my old buddies from many years ago. He had a Supra, he had a 2JZ, real nice Supra. He had a stock Supra motor in it. We made, I'm going to say right around a thousand wheel. This thing lived for years. It had no issues. Then he's like, you know what? I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to do built main caps, build the whole motor, do this, do that. Like he went wild with this thing. Come back and we literally had three separate motors, three separate retries with this thing, like piston scuffing on the first motor. And we're running similar timing. We're running the same fuel. It's like piston the wall wasn't right. You know, so then then we open up the piston the wall on it. Then it's like the next thing he's, he just went through. I, and it was always stupid stuff. And he's like, man, after all the shit, he put the stock motor back in that was no on the problem. side. Yeah. That shit still ran. <laughs> so it's like. It comes down to, I think, machining sometimes, too. You got good parts, but like, a, there's so much joke. bad machining. There's yeah. only one guy. You probably know who it is, Matt Miller. He's in between us. He mm-hmm. does K-series and LSs and a lot of diesel stuff, like probably 75% okay. diesels. And I've tuned <laughs> a lot of cars where he has done the motor, and they're like the only ones in the area that have oil pressure. so i'm like wow he actually did an engine for me that's in my mustang now but same thing i see it all the time at the dyno someone has an sbe car with like whatever i call it a don't bs me build and they they copy a a build that i have uh, put out for many years and it's always cranking out a result they do that and then they're like all right i'm ready they do pistons rods cylinder heads intake big ass turbo and it makes like a hundred horsepower more than their bullshit build. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you are—you're worried, like, man, where'd all my money go? Now I have two thousand oh, yeah. dollar cylinder heads, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like my turbo's gigantic. Why does it make eight hundred yeah. instead of seven hundred? I'm pissed off. Yeah, yeah. On a on a, on a V8, it's probably not so much of an issue with like power band, but because so many people will come in with these big turbo builds for like four cylinder, even six cylinder stuff. And it's such a laggy turd Yeah. and you tune it and it's, it's like, it makes the number, but they're like, man, it drives like shit. Well, yeah, it drives like shit. Cause it isn't spool tool. You know? Yeah. You get saved Whatever. on that with like the big, mostly it's a big V8 turbo mm-hmm. car. So as soon as you hit any power, your converter can come up to, you know, and it's CVTs. So yeah, mm-hmm. again, it's not that bad. on if it's not a lag machine. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's uh, one of his main things was like, you don't necessarily want to run a lot of torque down low on a lot of those four cylinders because they'll they'll bend a rod off. But up top, yeah. you, can, you can really slam it in. And yeah. I think he means like, how much more can you hit them down low? Basically everything they got or do you tiptoe or blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's only so much if the turbo doesn't spool. If it's lazy, the power band's lazy, you can... You can lean on it because it's not enough load on it. You don't have enough cylinder pressure. So it, it kind of comes down to, I mean, I, when I tune pretty much anything anymore, I'm, I'm using knock sensors. There's no guessing. You know, I do most of the bigger builds or even stuff that's, I do a lot of stock S2000 stuff. You know, they're pretty strong motors. Everything that we're running on those standalone wise do per cylinder knock correction. There's no guessing you know, you know how much you can keep putting the timing in it until you start seeing some, a little bit of activity, back it out. And, you know, it's, 
yeah, you feel it out pretty quick. I'm interested in messing around with that a little bit more because it seems like the stock bottom LS, I mean, Holly has knock sensors and stuff, but I always wanted to, yeah, I always wanted to put like the next combo I'm doing is fairly simple. I wanted to put it on with like 87 and walk it up Mm -hmm. and see where it makes noise versus where it makes power. But then Mm -hmm. I know it's different for every car because of cam and, you know, heavy springs or loud valves. I noticed, I've noticed on the Holly stuff, experimenting with the knock control and trying to get it consistent the LS stuff from what I've seen with the Holly, the, the knock processing board is not very ideal. Um, there's too much. You get one engine with a cam that even playing with the knock sensitivity, it's just through the roof. Yeah, and the same, thing, same with the stock computer. You ever run into that? I have. And usually what I'll do is run an external knock monitoring device. And actually like a tuner nerd is another, it's like an affordable one. There's all kinds of ones on the market. De- but the De- tuner hands. Yeah, it's a, you can hear that you can wear audio headphones through it, and then you can actually process the signal through a laptop and plot it. And ah. You can actually see, and, and you can um, put your own filter on it to basically filter out noise versus, and you can listen to it as well. And then you'll know if you're doing the pool, like, okay, this is actually real, this isn't. And then <clears throat> from knowing the threshold, then you can go back into the stock knock control tables and you, you know detune it until the ECU is jiving with what your, your knock monitoring device is saying. That's, that's the best way to handle it. So it takes a little bit of back and forth, but. I would say most of that stuff you're using the Holly on, you're not really pushing for knock. It'd be nice if it was better than it is. And I'm interested to try it, but yeah, most. uh, And then I would say, as far as my experience with stock bottom end stuff, if you're anywhere close to that, you're going to break a piston. So unless yeah. it's ethanol, ethanol doesn't, I don't think I've ever had an e-car knock. I don't think you can, you could, you can get, gonna... you can, you can, yeah. you definitely, if you, so I use, um, Infinity a lot. I use link G4X a lot. Um, and Haltech is okay with knock control, but when you have a, a, a proper knock processing board on the standalone, and then you can do, you can look at all the cylinders, it's direct fire. So you're able to actually detune each cylinder on the fly, you can see, you know, you can, and you have logging that can log at like a thousand Hertz. You can Ooh. see, yeah, you can see all this stuff. And it, and, and even on something that it's a low power where you'd normally run, okay, I'm running this much timing on it. Everything seems good. <clears throat> when you're looking at that kind of resolution, you can actually start to catch things. And it starts to open up your eyes of like, well, you know, two cylinders out of the eight are doing something. And then you can allow it to just pull the timing just a few degrees, you know, if it needs to. And it can live like that. It, you know, obviously you don't want it to knock, but um, it, it works for sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, I never, I've never touched an Infinity car. Well, uh, someone had one on a fourth gen Camaro and I like just got mm-hmm. it to idle and, you know, a little bit better. But uh, man, that's been it's, so long. It's the same thing as a programming wise it's the same airflow model as a gen 3 gen 3 sock ecu most of the language and the tables are the same thing Hmm. so most of the ve based tuning models like with all the standalones holly doesn't follow that rule but most all of them have very similar kind of programming logic so which i prefer whenever possible trying to use the ve based stuff i like math 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 based tuning i don't like like the injection time base like an aem series 2 or like I don't know. There's all kinds of other stuff that just, 
it sucks. Like you're just playing whack-a-mole with the numbers to make it run. And there's no right or wrong value in the field table necessarily where a VE it's like, it has to be close. And it's cool. Cause you can take a VE table from one engine and put it into another engine, at least get it to fire and run and run pretty good. As long as you have all the proper stuff scaled for injector data and all that, like it, you know, it makes more sense. So. Yeah, you can, uh, well, you can choose VE on Holly, but yeah, it doesn't have the same. Mm-hmm. It's basically pounds hour or when you break it down, right? Yeah, that's that's an injection time-based on model. And that's oh. all you're doing. All, all you're doing is, and in that case, you're scaling for your actual flow rate, like for your injector, and then translating that into a pulse width. You're just not doing it through that airflow model base. What I don't like about Holly is that you're not able to see, like, so if you have a VE model, you should be able to see your estimated airflow coming from your VE number. And it should jive. If you put a math on the car, it should jive with the math sensor. So if your math is reading, let's say eight grams per second at idle, measuring it, you should, your VE table should correlate to eight grams per second. Like they should match each other. And if they don't, and it well, if they don't, then then obviously something's not right. But when you look at like a, like you're dialing in the Holly, I see people have like wacky VE numbers and the car still runs right because there's no penalty to having the wrong airflow model other than it's incorrect. Like if you know VE tuning, you're like, this is not right. You're not moving. Yeah. The numbers like, are wacky. Yeah. Like, and it, if you're dealing with like a torque based ECU, it's so fucked off. Like the torque is, the throttle won't open right. Like nothing is right. So yeah. But people like, had asked questions about something similar to that. And I'm like, yeah, torque. I think we had talked about that years ago. I'm like, torque yeah. based. I don't care. I don't want to, it's not interested. Yeah. I'd rather tune it's, a lawnmower. <laughs> it's actually really nice. Like if you can model torque, if everything's nailed down properly, so you have your, you know, your airflow models is, is properly represented. Your maximum brake torque timing table that references spark timing versus what the theoretical maximum is. And then you have all the other bits and pieces in place. You can model an engine fairly close in terms of torque. If you want to put a limiter on an engine, so say you want to run down the track and you want to say, I want to run this thing and I want to be at, you know, 400 pound feet of torque in first, or I want to have a limiter and I want to have 200 pound feet of torque on the limiter. And it can correlate spark timing cut or spark timing retard or throttle closure and knowing all of that and actually can predict the torque model. You can just tell it what torque you want to do and it does it. And it's like dead nuts on. It's actually pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it just takes I know, little... like the newer Fords drive amazing with having like a blower mm-hmm. and making 800 horsepower. So mm-hmm. all that's incredible, but yeah. Uh, it sucks uh, the model out, but yeah. It is cool if you can get it. even on a standalone, like standalone stuff now is moving to torque modeling. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, uh, Haltech has it, Link has it, Motec has it. It's all torque based and it's actually pretty badass. Like if you get it, it's not actually not that bad to set up on, if, on a standalone wise. You just have to have a well, dyno. I, mean, I would assume the standalones are always usually easier to hammer stuff out. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, it can be super confusing. But like it goes back to the basics of like the airflow models. So if you're if you're tuning an airflow based model, a VE model, and everything's all out of whack, then your torque numbers won't be right, even on a standalone. So it's like it's one of my pet peeves is like dealing with VE tuning and, and airflow models and stuff just not being right. Holly doesn't have you can't actually see 
the grams per second that you're moving with your table. So every other standalone that I work with has it. It's like, you can see estimated airflow, like it should jive. It should be close. It's just like, you could, I don't know. There's certain no, things. No, about you, mean, you can't see that at all. No, you, you, and, and people are going, well, my car runs fine. It's like, well, your car runs fine, but it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just, I'm very like particular about calibrating and trying to do like OEM style calibrating. It's just drives me nuts. Yeah. Someone had a, someone had this one too. It says for sport front wheel drive, what ECU uh, has the best traction control strategy and can you compare and contrast them? He lists Motec, FuelTech and Haltech, which I guess if, if I were to ask this, I would say list your top two or three and then say what's better or worse. Um, traction control wise, Motec M1 is pretty badass. has a super fast processor. Um, it depends. So with Motec, I don't know if you're familiar with any of the M1 stuff for Motec. I know what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So with Motec, you have to buy firmware packages and which in my opinion kind of sucks. That's one of the things that turns me off from dealing with it a lot of times. Um, so firmware packages, you buy an M1 box. It has no firmware on it. I've you have to purchase. That, I had to talk to, uh, the twins from AMS performance about this. And they mm -hmm. said the same thing, like it's all custom firmware. So you can buy a $10,000 worth of Motec stuff, but none of it works or talks to each other. Yeah. So the firmware is going to be a tuner specific thing. So you can go to Motec, you can purchase an M150, and then you need to purchase the, the firmware package for it. And you can get the Motec ones, or you can get a tuner, like a, an actual individual that does the firmware. So you have to buy a dev license, the developer license and a box, which is eight grand for Motec. Then if you, if you can go in and then you can code out at your own firmware, if you know how to do the coding. Like John and, Reed racing has custom. Exactly. I know. Exactly. So, so this is, so where I'm going with this with, with Motec is the traction control can be badass, but it depends on your firmware package. So like John Reed, for example, has a, torque-based, uh, specifically torque-based traction control that, uh, and even on launch control, it's drive-by-wire based and it's so damn consistent. It's amazing. Like I know people who are using it, but then you're locked into John Reed and there's nothing wrong with it, but you're locked into that firmware. So you're having an issue. You have to go to John Reed. Like MoTeC is going to go, we can't help you. Like it's, oh, you know, if you're running... And if you're running the Motec package, you're running like a GRP package for Motec, which is a race package. One of the, one of the ones they have, you know, you're, you're not going to get everything that John Reed puts in. So it's like, it, Motec is great, but you're kind of stuck in that. And if, you know, so if a firmware package from John Reed is like 1500 bucks. So now if you're going to somebody else writing another one, you're going to cough up at least a thousand to 1500 bucks or another third. It's like, it's insane. Just like, when does it stop? Um, that's the only reason I, I tend to not use the M1 stuff. I mean, it works and you, you can't get M1 stuff right now. I uh, just like Motec is on some severe deficiency for chip in their, in their, in their boards. Hmm. So that's another thing to factor in, but Motec has a great traction control works awesome. But again, firmware package based. Um, that's what Jay I've had Jay from real street on. And he said, yeah, yeah for you can have a 1400 horsepower Supra. And you can just smash it in first gear and it yes. never, you know, because same thing, it's probably torque modeled out and it'll only apply what it can yep. use. And then from there, it has a slip 
table or, you know, all of the above is happening. Yeah. And he's like, you so, can really enjoy that car because you can actually use the gas pedal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Motec, so Motec has a, has a great traction control. Um, Haltec stuff works okay. Um, I don't know about the, the Nexus because it has a faster processor. The Elite works fairly well. Um, Fuel Tech is okay. It works. There's a lot of people running super fast with sport formal drive cars with it. That's like the hot new thing. I'm not very fond of Fuel Tech myself only because it's injection time-based tuning. And a lot of the software, in my opinion, is kind of clunky and it's really dumbed down. Like they don't give you an, enough control or like if you want to write a custom strategy, for example, like let's say you want to come up with something, you want to do something custom, you're stuck with whatever the developers have in the software. There's no flexibility. Haltech at least has a lot of flexibility. So you can plot any runtime value and make a three-dimensional or even four-dimensional table for traction control, come up with your own strategy on the fly. You're stuck with what FuelTech has written. Um, I do Link like G4. that. I mean, I've only, I tuned like a Haltech car last week or something, and it's one mm -hmm. of the first times I've ever touched Haltech. And it is nice how you can, like Holly, uh, you can make whatever advance table you want. And yep, yep. it's exactly the Slide same in. where, uh, yep. I mean, I'm used to that, so it's funny. Or Megasquirt stuff where you can pretty much make your own uh, access points, but then other stuff doesn't have it. And yeah, it's confusing to me when I open up. I've been checking out Fuel Tech at times too, and I'm like, I yeah. don't like this at all because I can't change access. Yeah, it, it, and it, it works. It's a, it's, it's a simple system um, in comparison to that. It's just it's gotten a lot of hype. And there's a lot of people, fast guys running it. And don't get me wrong. like They're killing it with marketing, that's for sure. Because all I, I hear about I, them for like the last five yeah. years is yeah craziness. But then I'm like, who do you know has it? Yeah, yeah. well, there's it's gotten large like, in terms of people using it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's grown. I mean, everybody seems to be wanting to use it or whatever. But my personal, what I go to almost all of my projects is the Link G4X. Link is a system that not a lot of people here in the States use. It's probably one of the best standalone systems for the money. I mean, for me, when I'm looking at a standalone system um, and really what sets them apart from one from the other, if you look at standalones and let's just say you want to integrate a standalone into, I don't know, a, a Subaru, right? And a Subaru from a newer Subaru is going to be highly CAN based. So all the buttons on the dash, cruise control buttons, mode switch buttons, all of that's talking on the CAN network. If you want to put a standalone into it, you're limited now because there's only maybe two or three plug and plays that can support it. Link has an open CAN network. They actually have two CAN network channels. If you know CAN and you can sniff the OEM CAN data, you can put it in, you can read wheel speeds, buttons on the steering wheel, all the dash functionality can oh, still nice. work broadcast, send and receive. And on top of that, uh, you have, I think it's like 150 channels. You can log at a, a thousand Hertz for like an hour. It, it, it's insanity of what it can do. And the traction control is badass. They have traditional traction control that's slip based. They have a new thing called power management. Power management has closed loop and open loop type of routines for the you know, traction control purposes. I mean, there's so much configurability in it. And then what's awesome is you also have math channels. You can write your own custom math channels and integrate that as a runtime value to like a table. So if you're trying to come up with a strategy that doesn't exist, 
you literally can write it if you have enough creativity and do, you know, as crazy of a math expression as you want using variables that are coming into the link that you've, you know, it, it's for what it is. And for the price you pay, you cannot beat it. It's yeah, it just, seems, I didn't know you could do so much. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard, oh, well, we wanted to talk about max ECU. My buddy with the 4,200 stuff is on and he max has a bunch of max ECU stuff because I know they can do can yep. and I wish yep. I knew more about it. But yeah, obviously for any integration on something newer at all, that, that's incredible because you can just throw info in and out that's already existing. And that is yep. cool how uh, you don't need to do, like you said, you can use a cruise control button to do rolling in lag more than likely with mm -hmm. no wiring. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. Incredible. And you can retain all the functionality with all the cars. I mean, it's you have to have a can sniffer and be able to sniff the network and being able to do that, which isn't actually super difficult and once you have all your addresses and your communication speeds you just can go in and assign it and it's, it's like i said it's all open to me that really sets a standalone apart from another one like you can go in and i mean haltech is more geared towards a supra or like a fox body or like you know whatever like these like a car that's more simplistic yeah. and they do haltech does have the newer cars where you can do can't you can make can functionality work but then you're limited to what they've written in terms of the CAN communication. So I'm doing a, a K-series turbo in a uh, Cyan FRS, and it's on a Haltech. And you can actually use a lot of the OEM functionality, like the buttons will work, like AC switch works on the CAN network. So you can you know assign AC input to offset like your fans coming on and idle and all that stuff. Um, but you can't get down to even further programming. Like you're limited to what they've basically defined. So it's not an open can network, basically what I'm saying. So, I mean, it's, it depends how deep you want to go with like tuning and like getting into digging into stuff, but like it's for the money, you cannot beat it. It's insane what it can do. I'll have so. to grab the software and poke around. Yeah. 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 I know I've they seen actually, the link uh, sticker on a lot of like road race cars. It's the worst logo I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, 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 it's awful. It's, it's like, like some screaming. your ECU Megasquirt. Yeah. Those poor yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That Bruce Honestly, guy it's... is just weird. I mean, everybody else can't stand it, but that Bruce is the president of all that. Of DIY? Well, no, Bruce Bowling D owns the Megasquirt chip. Oh. And when they're like, can we please, can we call it Blue Dolphin? And they're, he's like, no. And they're like, <laughs> can we have anybody write software that's not a third party guy and not in Java. And Bruce is like, no. Huh. So that's the big holdup with all of that stuff. So my buddy, huh. Mike, that owns EFI source that does like all in-house integrated circuit yeah. boards, yeah. surface mounting components, you know, he does yeah. all of that. And he's like, can I make this really cool shit right now? And they're like, well, maybe when we, maybe we can agree on that in like a year and a half. He's like, cool, cool. <laughs> huh. This, it's like the dog in the room that's on fire, and he goes, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're huh. kind of stuck with. That's, I mean, that's how I understand it, how painful huh. it is. All right, well, uh, well, I don't know if cars you do do this that much, so it'll be a good question. But uh, can you guys discuss onboard air for boost control, pros and cons? Uh, they're thinking of... Well, I have a thing I sell. I sell plug-and-play Holly wiring products. 
and one mm -hmm. of them is a a dial like a trim dial and mm -hmm. i frequently you call it dial a boost because what i set it up for is is uh because people are like cool i have all this badass stuff and i can go from four to eight hundred but i don't know how i do it like how do i do it do i have to change my tune so i just that dial hooks up and you got 400 here and 800 here and then uh i offset it on some cars based off of like ethanol content so it mm -hmm. limits the max amount of boost to something not retarded when you have 11 percent alcohol in the car and yeah. then uh similarly i'll set it up to do like boost by a mile an hour and it's just mm -hmm. a dial of how aggressive it is but uh he's asking about going to like onboard air or co2 versus oh co2 based yeah um that's a, that's a so, use case question like that's what you're gonna say i'm sure it's um back in the day we used to do co2 based boost control i did it on our drag cars for a while um it's super popular. The one thing I ran into, I find as a disadvantage, uh, is the CO2, because it's so cold as it's coming out, it would actually freeze the wastegate diaphragms. And we would start getting wastegate diaphragm separation. Oh. And we'd have to pull apart the wastegates and deal with it. Um, that was one problem. Now, on the older tile gates, I haven't tried it on the new like MVS, MVRs, turbo smart stuff, I'm not sure but we would actually run enough pressure to actually blow the diaphragm out at the base. And then it would leak the CO2 out. Um, so we actually had a lot of problems with it. And I just got so sick and tired of it that we went back to just, you know, manifold pressure based. Um, it works great. I mean, you have to have, in order to do it properly, you have to monitor your bottle pressure. You have to have your wastegate pressure. Everything is based on dome, you know, dome pressure control of your sensor um, and you have to have your PIDs close so that it's tracking that target and getting you relatively close. I mean, I know certain systems, depending on what you're using, <clears throat> some of them will work with, uh, CO2 pressure and manifold pressure, which is the ideal way to do it. So you're cross-referencing your manifold yeah, pressure as your CO2. Okay. Yeah. Map, and then you yep. set up, there's a bias table for the amount of dome equals a certain amount of PSI. And then you right. target the PSI that's, and it has a that's go -to. the that's the only good way to do it like if you're integrating that and when I'm doing it with a standalone if it I usually build custom strategies like that um because it's, it's trying to do co2 like wastegate pressure on its own is is a disaster because you're never quite correlating your manifold pressure quite right but uh I mean if you're trying to get a huge range of boost control for a traction limited car it's definitely the way to go. Yeah. But there are other better, I'm, I've been finding um, lately, instead of running CO2 pressure, if a standalone can do it, um, using a blow-off valve and using a three-port boost solenoid to control your vacuum reference to the blow-off valve. Ah. So if you're getting, so basically what I like to do on drag cars now is run super high wastegate springs. So like yeah. 30, 40 pounds worth of wastegate spring basically like slamming the valve shut. Like it's not even a gate there essentially, but, and running a three port solenoid to control the boost to get it up to, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm doing well, yeah, is 56. You can knock a ton of it out at the, you can, if you have a 50 mil, 60 mil blow off valve size and you let that valve open under boost, you can literally dump five, six, 800 horsepower out. Like I cut the power at least well, and half. Then the turbo is already going. Right. So when exactly. You shut so that, it's got yep. all of it. So you get it first gear, you get it going off the line, you get the, to your shaft speed up, 
as soon as you click second or wherever you want to stage that power in, it's there. You don't have to wait for it, which then you don't have the stupid CO2 pressure. You don't have any of that bullshit. Your tank runs out of CO2. It's like you have to care. Yeah, I've never heard of you. that strategy. I've heard of my buddy back in the day, Frank had like those YSI blower cars and they would mm-hmm. put a wastegate on a steel inlet yep. tube and do yep. similar. They pulley it to the moon, like a yep. 10% over speed because yep. of belt slip and then use the wastegate, you know, to control the amount of power. Yep, same idea, just using a blow-off valve, and it works really, really well. Yeah, that's I actually had a, I, I had a, a strategy with um, the one Drag S2000 I was doing. It used to do a lot of, it used to do pull wheelies. And it was, because we couldn't run bars on the back to, to keep it down with the rules. And um, I had a strategy with a shock position sensor on the, on the front wheels. So as soon as the wheel would pick up a certain amount of travel, it was getting... Yeah, it was getting into the wheelie. It was about to go into it. So then I would have the blow-off valve on a separate lookup table, just open loop, where it would open, it would dump the power, and the car would just stay up on the, you know, stay right on the edge of that. And I would have it fed in going down the track with just enough to keep the tire on, you know, on the ground and, and you know, pretty much squatting back before it would pick up on the wheelie. It worked good. I mean, we got the car was fast and consistent yeah, like that. I've never heard anybody say that. I love learning. My buddy with the 4200 stuff is asking a question. I always like to get him. Uh, he's like pioneering it, so I want to get him his yeah. answers. Uh, is a six-pole crank trigger going to cause issues for me at higher RPM and horsepower? People are telling me that I need a 58X or I will have issues. No. Well, it depends on the process speed of the ECU. That, that's really what it comes down to. So, for example... Um, I know from Haltech, uh, this is actually something I learned from an, a Haltech engineer many years ago. I had the same discussion of, of how many teeth are, are good. And he said at this time, and now God, everything's changed in technology. He said, well, you can have a 58 tooth wheel on it, but we're only processing eight of the 58 teeth. Like what? Yeah. What are you talking about? He goes, we don't have enough processing resolution to crunch that many teeth. Wow. So, so it's a pet. Skip them. Yes, it literally looks in the pattern when you say, oh, it's a 58 tooth wheel and you're putting the trigger pattern in. It'll look at however many other teeth. It, it, it cannot process that fast enough. So it comes down to processing speed, a lot of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's obviously ECU, ECU like limit limitation. And so newer, newer stuff, newer processor ECUs, it's actually sometimes a detrimental. You have so many teeth and it can process the teeth and then it starts leading into problems that way. So you actually can... It's like almost too much. Too much resolution. What's funny is he's right. like, he's blowing up. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Because <laughs> people are, you know, he's extremely intelligent and yeah. uh, is very good on his own. And people are saying that. And he's like, I don't understand why, you know. But yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's it's really going to be standalone specific, like what it can actually handle. Yeah, so. it can't. It, yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. It's a throwaway at some point because you're just giving it more than it can. Now, would you say that that's increasing overhead and you're losing some because you have so many trigger events? If you have enough, if, you're, if your processors can can actually handle it, it, it isn't going to be an issue. Huh, like it actually it will give you better resolution because it, it has, for example, and it depends on, again, your strategy you're using. If you're doing persona or not control, and you're referencing each cylinder in relation to your 
resolution of your teeth as the engine's spinning around. If you have that much resolution, it can find hone in on the movement, a very tiny increment of movement because it has the available pulse pattern coming in. It can actually be more accurate in terms of how it applies a per cylinder knock correction with that much resolution. A low resolution, if you think about like your time between you know teeth processing at high speeds, it's still coming in fast. And then you're processing your degrees of movement. But the more the ECU can actually handle, the better off it's actually going to oh, be able yeah. to go after. I was just saying, uh, because in networking, we run into an issue where you can do a lot, but the more you're trying to do or the more connections or the more packets, uh, the processor can handle it, but it's kind of throwing away a bunch of stuff that it could be doing if it wasn't working so hard. Right. So, you know, it gets a bunch of overhead and it starts to uh, just have issues with certain things depending on how you have it set up. And I was thinking like if it's, but I guess it's just a channel that's set up that it can't read any more triggers and it's 2% of the process and you're not, by giving it more trigger events, it's not going to 25% of processing. Right. Okay. It's going to, it's going to just depend on the standalone really. How it's, it all is so, processed and firmware and yeah. chip. And, and the best part is you don't know any of it. You think you might know. And then you find out from an engineer and everything's like thrown out the window. Like there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that you're programming things and you're like, oh, this is, this makes sense. And then you find out it, not anything that you think is going on is, you know, it's like, it's not matching up stuff works, but you know, there's been many times over the years where I've talked to like a, you know, an actual engineer at the company and my mind's blown. I'm like, I can't believe You're that. like, why does this happen at a 10 out of 12 cars? It's annoying the shit out of me. And they're yeah. like, our firmware, someone said no when we needed that. Yeah. Very simply. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a good one for my buddy. Uh, he says, what's your favorite platform to tune? Meaning engine, ECU, power range, etc. Like, uh, like what I would, I call it the don't BS me clone where I'm like, if people have no idea what they want, I hand them this combo and 400 to 800 horsepower. They're like, this is amazing. And it's, you know, uh, it's like a whole certain layout. And do you have that, uh, like a vehicle ECU turbo combo, like all the shit that's your favorite always works. I mean, I tune so many things now. I mean, and if I'm at the shop and I do a couple cars a day, it'll be Honda, Miata, some kind of LS something, Coyote something. So, know, di- I, so it's so different that you don't really have a favorite anymore? I don't. I enjoy calibrating certain engines. Like I enjoy doing really complex things that give me a challenge up to a certain point before they become a pain in the ass. Yeah. But I like I like to um, like like drive by wire, you know. Yeah, you want to be challenged. Cam. I, I like calibrating something that's it's a, you know challenge um i mean the easy button for me is just some kind of a honda with a decent standalone and whatever and that's like a close my eyes and do it <laughs> you don't want to if it, you're if you're tired or you don't want to have a long day you're like doo, doo, yeah doo, like uh yeah. s300 b series turbo oh it's like incredibly easy <laughs> yeah that's super easy yeah yeah all right, then what, uh, uh, oh, this is good. Uh, are you ever going to do any e-gate lessons, electronic wastegate? 
For the school, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, so that that was a. We've had students ask about it before, and the technologies really only came out in the last little bit. And um, I do electronic wastegate control already with OEM EC programming, and it's pretty straightforward. I don't know if you have any experience with it, but it's actually pretty cool. Where what what stock has electronic wastegate? I mean, you don't mean everything. Oh, wow. everything. Yeah, well, so I mean, it's Honda's like a, it's a solenoid controlled, but it actually has a, a electronic wastegate. Yeah, so so basically you have a, a wastegate valve. You have your travel. The wastegate valve is controlled with a half bridge output, like drive by wire. The waste electronic wastegates are high current, so some of them pull up to eighty amps. You know, not continuously, yeah. but they're super high, can, super high current draw. Yeah, it can spike it. Depending on um, how much back pressure you have, that's a, a big one that's going to dictate the draw, the amp draw on, on the circuit. But basically, you have a position sensor that measures your travel of your actuator move or your, your valve in this case, your movement. So it'll be, you know, zero millimeter to let's say 15 millimeter. 15 is all the way open, zero is closed. And it's manipulating the current to the valve to get the travel right. And at the same time, the travel is moving and it's measuring this in real time. It's looking at manifold pressure. So typically you have, you know, commanded boost, actual boost, and it will literally look at what it expects as a, as a base duty cycle. So if you have closed loop, closed loop kind of control, it expects at this RPM, at this manifold pressure, you should have five millimeter of travel. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's going to be millimeter of travel typically. It's going to be actual physical like a shock sensor. You don't care about the percentage. Exactly. You want to know how far it's moving. Yep. Yep. And then, um, you know, once you can establish that base table, it'd be the equivalent of like a base duty cycle table for closed loop from there, then the system can basically go, all right, I know where I need to start at. Am I there? No. Okay. Am I under, am I over move the current up or down to manipulate that? And again, it's a half bridge output. So it's just like drive by wire moves it up and down. But it's pretty cool. It's really simple to tune. And actually, that's honestly the best way to go about wastegate like, or, or boost control now. But the, it but seems the problem. Like a lot of the, it's infancy, right? So the back end stuff isn't fully there yet. The problem is that, and this is, a, this is a evolution of standalones, you'll find that the stuff that's on the market now all has, like FuelTech, for example, or HallTech, they're all running a CAN base inline module to drive that electronic uh, circuit because they because the half bridge control for drive by wire for example doesn't have enough amp sync to actually move that valve right so they need a 40 or an 80 amp circuit to actually do it and nothing exists that goes inside the ecus so they're basically retrofitting this newer technology now as a can you know a can command between the ecu and the electric wastegate to do you know to to, to control that that circuit so um, I've been hesitant. I wanted to let the technology kind of sit on the market for a little bit before I started to do tutorials. Because the thing I don't want to do is get into it and then it's like stuff changes or, you know, there's... It, they so, change the whole control and then you have a new video that isn't good anymore. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, I put, you know, for me to do tutorials, like it's usually a lot of research testing. Like I won't do a tutorial or make something unless I fully tested it myself, know it works a hundred percent and have strategies worked out. And then I'll, 
you know, I go, okay, I know it works. You know, this is all legit. And um, so in the last year, it's it's been progressing. Everyone's moving towards that. I think and, the more the PDM ECU mixes together, that's going to yeah. become more prevalent. Like it seems like the Nexus stuff uh, is the best foot in the door for that stuff to start happening. A funny story about a Nexus. And this is like <laughs> people had asked buddy, about the Nexus also. So go on a tangent about Nexus stuff. So it works great. It's I'm not knocking Hall Tech, but it, it's a, a, a funny story. And I'm not going to say who this is, but they were sponsored by Hall Tech and very well known race car. And they went from an elite. My buddy made a, this goes back years ago, he made a harness for the car. Basic elite setup. I had tuned it. Car ran great for years. And it the harness, like my buddy's not, he's not like a, a motorsport harness guy. Like he did a harness and it worked, you know. And um, the harness got beat up over the years. So they're like, you know what? We're going to do a full, you know, real nice harness. You got a, a, a professional made harness, like a, a real deal. Like, and he got the Nexus Haltech sponsors him and he put the Nexus in the car. They couldn't get through more than a couple lapping sessions without the ECU overheating. Mm. Driving the same components that the basic relay board and the elite were working with for years, flawlessly. And it got to the point where no matter what they did, and he's working with Haltech, no matter what they did, they couldn't get this thing to stay running and keep running without tripping all of the, you know, the 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 maxes and all the fail-safe strategies with this thing, specifically. PDM based controls and they ended up pulling it. I mean, he missed basically the whole race season trying to get this thing to run and uh, he switched over a different system. He's not sponsored by Haltech anymore. That's one of <laughs> but the it's again, not I think of too, when I'm like, man, that's a lot of high current in an ECU box that doesn't like high current. And same thing, like you said about overheating, that's something I didn't know either, but it makes sense once you hear it, like, that thing is throwing amperage and it just overheats the, the circuitry on the other side. And it may not be an issue for, let's say, a drag car. Uh, they're only on for a little bit of time. Yeah, 100%. Or this, this, this thing's on for, you know, five, ten minutes at a time, full tilt on the track until it's, you know, running down and hitting the cool shirt to the Nexus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, obviously his car could be kind of a, a you know it's not not An the anomaly rule. it could be or it's just but, not the best use case scenario for that yeah product. but no, nothing nothing on his car was was out of control like he wasn't trying to do all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff like you said it. it was fine for years until on an elite it worked just fine i mean as far as functionality goes it works good it has more logging space than elite hall tech elite if you're comparing because the elite is the less tiered product so the elite can't log as much can't log as fast that's a sucky part with the elite um, programming capability wise. It has a little bit more capability features and functions. There's a little bit more to the Nexus than, than the elite, but you know, the big, the big, the big thing is the, the built-in PDM and people like it. People don't like it. You know, for the price of a Nexus, you're getting into some other, you're getting close to an Mtron or a Motec M1 and there's other options as you start to approach that price tier, four or $5,000 range. It's like you can get into something else. It's just really comes down to what you want. I mean, I don't know. I kind of like that that R3 is coming out, but yeah, they better 
I'm sure, I mean, it's a whole new flagship, so they'll probably fix thermals, hopefully. Yeah. But similar yeah. where, like I said, my buddy EFI Source, Mike uh, at AEA Electronics, I'm like, hey, these people are making the ECU and the PDU. That seems like mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be the way to go. But what about all the power? Because he's always said to me, it's he actually builds two separate sides of the board and one's inputs and one's outputs and everything. Mm -hmm. He totally, he understands, he builds integrated circuits for a living. So he's like, yeah, you can't mix the high and the low current anywhere near each other if possible. Mm -hmm. And I brought that up. I'm like, they put a PDU in the ECU and he's like, well, that's dumb as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool, but man, that's just inviting issues. So it's funny to hear that. And you that can, you, you can get a lot of quality PDMs like totally uh, separate. Yeah, I yeah, want to I mean, use can... a ECU masters in my Fairmont if I can. You should check out again. I mean, not the plug link, but Link came out with their PDM. Oh, no the sure. price is the price is very similar to ECU masters, and it gives you like a lot. You more said you like their stuff better. There's a lot more flexibility with it, and it's open can, so like you can oh, look at again this. do a lot a lot of stuff, and the price is awesome for it. They call and, it the well, Link we, Razor PDM. Yeah. That's funny because yeah, yeah. it looks like pink razor because it's got like a purple top. Yeah. Anyway, my dyslexia brain is like, oh, pink razor. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at that, a grand. Oh, yeah. That's like the cheaper than all the other ones. They're like 1300 uh -huh. Yeah. Interesting. Their price point is killer. I mean, they're, they're made in New Zealand. I don't know if, like, everything made in New Zealand for car shit is badass. Australia, New Zealand. Everything badass comes from from. We were just talking there. about the people that make the forty two hundred manifold off air, uh, make it in New Zealand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What does it have? Eight outputs. It looks like. Yep, I think that's right. That's if you tier it with it, if you tier it with a G four X, like you tier it with their their system, I'm sure you can is. assign. You can assign. Um, you can use it for more inputs, more outputs. That will actually directly derive electric wastegate. Oh, nice! It has enough sinking amps. So, yeah, it's cool for the price. You can't beat it. Oh, yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, I'll have to look at their, uh, the link stuff. Never really uh, thought of it until you it's, said you like the features. It's not a popular system, which is a shame, but. Maybe they need to get fuel tech's marketing guy. <laughs> yeah. The cool thing about link and um, they decided so there used to be a G4 Plus, and now there's a G4X. That's the new current stuff from them. The G4 Plus, they uh, they were using a chip uh, uh, supplier, like everyone else does in the, in the industry. And in the middle of, or towards the end of the production life of the G4 Plus, they only had enough boards, or enough processors left. I think they only had like a couple hundred, a couple thousand left or whatever to produce all the boards. And they were like, we need to get more of these order. And the company's like, sorry, can't make any more. We're done. And they're like, well, fuck, what are we going to do? So they decided to start making their own shit in house and buying all the, the tooling equipment. So they actually produce all their own things in house so they can, can fully control what goes on with production. They're not oh, tied nice. into like, all, like Motec right now is they're kind of screwed. They don't have the chips to be able to make M1s. So it's, you know, it's a it's a kind of a big deal in the industry, like trying to trying to get things. Everything's kind of out of whack now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but that's a shame for them. Like it's a big product, and they can't get 
CPUs because yeah. they're so outsourced, it seems. Yep. Yep. It sucks. It's like the name of the game for everything now, but that's what I just watched a Haltech video it came out like today or yesterday about their production is all in house, so they wouldn't have to deal with that. They 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 were dealing with that, I think about a year ago. They that's were what it, yeah, that's what they were saying. Scotty was taking uh Alan from the skid factory around and they were showing like they said the same thing they're like we're at the mercy of all of this and we didn't want to be doing that anymore so they brought it all in when the when the nexus is i think it was the nexus or the elite came out i can't remember which one i think it was the elite again i could be wrong or could be the nexus they had like a thousand boards printed and they had a supplier that did the ecu cases and the supplier screwed something up and they were made wrong or couldn't get them. I can't remember couldn't the exact the story. Or something. They, literally, they literally were sitting on thousands of boards for like months on end and couldn't sell anything because they couldn't put the freaking things in a case. So like, yeah, it's, it's a disaster. Incredible. What a... Oh, well, this is... Inter- we, I kind of know your take on this from your earlier answers my buddy joey says do you think the development of youtube social media and diy content has been better or worse for tuners like yourself or the tuning industry i mean both ways i think there's so much information out there that you literally i mean you can find anything most anything you want in a reasonable you know if you want to know how to install something you want to know, you know, even like a product review, there's tons of people who put reviews up. I mean, sometimes they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So it's like whatever, but um, there's more information now than ever. I think if you can't figure it out, you probably shouldn't be messing with your car if you're a DIY. You know what I mean? Like you can literally just Google anything and find the answer. It's like right there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like people's... Um, I feel like people are getting stupider by the year. <laughs> so it's like, or they're just lazier because they just want oh, everything. You're, you're not alone. You're not alone. They're just like, why can't, why can't you just tell me the answer? I'm like, dude, I could Google this in one minute and find the answer. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Or it's a can of worms that's hard to explain. It's situational or it depends on. Yeah. 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 Many yeah. Things. yeah. I think that, I mean, DIY, it, I mean, I came from DIY. I refuse to, let anybody do anything and i would tear into things and fuck shit up and learn you know it's good if you i don't i still am like that like i just for everything i just do everything myself and you know i'm stubborn i don't like to hire people to do even shit around the house like it's just do it you know but i feel like if you can't find the answer you shouldn't be messing with your car it's It's just (laughs) easy to find it now Yeah. yeah yeah i see here they have a a low side paired H bridge that can do 25 continuous and 70 amp peaks at 10 Hertz. Yep. It's legit. You can do drive by wire with that. You can do all kinds of whatever you can kind of dream up. All right. I want to ask this one too. What is your, uh, what injectors do you like best for methanol or nitromethane in the sizes above a Bosch 210? Because I know that's controversial. It seems like all the meth injectors are trash. Or maybe it's just a maybe you can answer. Is it just a high maintenance item? You just have to deal with it. Any of that stuff, anything meth, you know, straight methanol or nitromethane, it, it's super high maintenance. 
Um, usually if I'm doing a project that's going to require that much fuel flow, I'm running at least an extra set of injectors. I typically just use injector dynamics, although they could have issues too. Like the 2600s they have, they work fairly well. Um, I was dealing with a drag car that actually had a set, just take a shit. And again, they were run ethanol. Um, it could just be their fuel system in terms of like, you know, I'm not maintaining the car or doing anything. I'm just tuning it. But they're like, yeah, I have an extra set of injectors in the car. Like, Dude, why do you have an extra set of injectors? That ah, one went bad. I'm like, that's random. But typically if I'm dealing with something like that, I'm running at least an extra set or another set of injectors on top of it. And they're big injectors. Some form of stage, you know, stage system. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of big injectors out there. I, yeah, I, I usually stick with ID stuff. So, um, but yeah, if you're running nitromethane or straight methanol, you need to pickle your fuel system every time you run the car. So you need to get it out, put pump gas in there, let it run through to run like shit. You should have another, you know, calibration map just to run it on petrol, but at least put the petrol back in, pickle the system. And, you know, that way it'll store right. And uh, that was always what we did on the like race a can of two stroke top. End. <laughs> <laughs> you just gum up the injectors. Like that, that cr- crawls or whatever, two strokes. Yeah. It smells like cherries. Yeah. 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 Just I mean, that in there, the lubrication stuff. Yeah. We used to, we used to try that with, uh, with the ethanol cars and it didn't seem to make a difference. They still gunk up. And... It's easier to put that slimy pump gas in there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. All right, uh, HP Tuner. Well, he's talking about, like, I mean, you should just get your, this one here, you should just buy all your drive-by-wire stuff for HP Tuners. He's asking what the tricks are for, like, an O2 six-wire unicorn electronic throttle body idling and what tables do you, yeah, I mean, that's highly specific. (laughs) We're not going to go into that. That's a giant can of worms that's, yeah uh oh this is a good one considering your business model is focused highly on the evans performance speed academy which is broadcast and advertised on social media platforms i'm a personal follower and love the content by the way i'd imagine that has been extremely beneficial for you and others alike what kind of yeah i mean you know, we have just... it basically explained what you do. That was strange. Um, maybe I didn't get it. Specifically referring to free content from random internet user. I must have this stuff copied wrong wherever I got it. Oh, people people are saying, would Jeff be willing to comment on the EPA crackdown and the adverse <laughs> effects? I, I, as far as I can remember, you were the first guy to get canned with that. I think I was the first. It was kind of like a, maybe that'll happen. Maybe it was kind of, people weren't worried. And then they were like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why it happened to me exactly. specifically me. Um, Someone didn't like you. Well, it, it could be. Our business, our business I just was... threw that out there. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, well <laughs> I, I always was, you know, like somebody fucking ratted me out. But you know, I, I don't yeah. know who that would be. Um, I think the way we did Evans tuning, it broadcasted out as larger than, so it was my wife, myself, and then we had, you know, a few employees when the, when the, when we were the, 
the biggest kind of production going at Evans Tuning. And we did everything in a way, at least this is kind of the way I interpret it, that, that people would see us and think, well, they're fucking huge. They're like an AMS or like a, you know, like a, like a big, like big company doing all this, this, you know, big bills and they're doing all this stuff and they must have like, you know, all these employees. And I think you're just, we might have, well, we, we just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that case. It's just, we're small business, you know, but I think on the internet, because the internet is so, you can make yourself whatever it is. It's true. Yeah. So I think they honed in on me because I, I think it's because I checked so many boxes. If they're looking through, they went in and so kind of started where they were, they were going to the manufacturers and they're going around and meeting with them. And I think they were getting lists of dealers. Who are their dealers? Who are you selling to? And I think my name kept coming up because I was a dealer for everybody and I was tuning everything at the time. Oh, uh, easy. And I th- so if they, could, I th- if they couldn't catch you on one, they had ammunition on six different ECUs and customer base. Yeah, I think perhaps that's why. I don't know. But um, yeah, I ate a big uh, shit salad on that. I, I, it sucked. Two, two or three years with a lawyer and uh, you know... <clears throat> I never paid attention to anything in the government. I didn't care about, you know, it, like politics. I just, it, it just didn't give a shit. And until that happened, I'm like, motherfucker. And then I just, you know, like, cause you don't think the federal government's going to come out and directly yeah, affect actually, you. Yeah. Like why? That's a joke. Why would they do that? Yeah. Yeah. That's how so I thought like, of it until, you know, I heard about you and I was like, damn, they're, yeah, they're out they, there doing it. They, uh, and so when we went to, we had to get attorney and it can't just be any attorney. It has to be an environmental law attorney and it's very specific and niche. And then you have to find a good one. And so we found one and we went in the EPA. The So there was multiple EPA federal agents on this conference call with my attorney and I'm sitting in his office and I'll never forget. We got a, you know, got a hold of attorney. I'm like, what do you think it's going to be? He's like, well, it could be anything. They could just be asking some questions. You know, we'll do a conference call with them and see. The conference call started with the EPA attorney citing uh, this conference calls to, you know, talk about you're in violation of the Clean Air Act. And he's talking about how many, like a couple hundred violations. And he's like, you know, section this, this, this. He's like going, you know, for like a minute or two. And your fine's going to be totaling in excess of 1.4 million. I'm like, what the fuck? Good luck. <laughs> what just that? happened? Where's it coming from? I, I was like, I looked at my lawyer. I was like, are they fucking kidding me right yeah, now? That's like, a huge my, my wife and I were sitting in the thing. We're just like, this is, this is, this can't be, this isn't happening right now. Jeez. And um, yeah, so two or three years fighting it, going back and forth. I mean, it, it got settled, but it's just, no one's safe. No one's no. safe. No. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, we always like to, after a bunch of serious ones, we like to do the, someone asked for all of them. So they say, uh, ice cream and pizza question. What's your favorite ice cream? And what's your favorite pizza? <laughs> like to break it up with things. Pizza, ice cream. Eh. 
I like the uh, like a chocolate vanilla swirl. If I'm doing a cone, they usually. How do you go? I haven't wrong? had one in years. Yeah, they're just pizza. I like uh, I like white pizza with mushrooms. Huh. Yeah. What uh? And then what's your worst catastrophic failure that you've seen, and worst nightmare customer if you can share? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> Should um, we do another episode that's just... <laughs> oh, God, I could tell so many stories you wouldn't even believe. Next it's Friday, just... guys, Nightmare Customers. With, I'll have five Jesus. people on. None of you will be able to finish. Dude, I think the craziest situation... I have two of them. Two of them, but these are pretty good ones. Um, one, there was a guy with a, a TSX. It was turbocharged, and... He um, he drove up from like Maryland with the car. Him and his buddy came and a real clean TSX. It was almost like a show car. It was all white, pristine, everything super nice, tidy, real nice install. Guy was like, you know, legitimate. He wasn't a big douchebag. Everything was cool. Tune the car. Everything was fine on the dyno. Made probably like 20, 30 pools getting it calibrated. Um, we take the car off the dyno. And we go just to drive and make sure it's smooth before he heads back four hour drive to Maryland. We get up the road probably about a mile and a half. And I say to him, um, he's driving and I'm you know, kind of looking at the laptop and I'm looking out the hood. I'm like, dude, I think there's smoke coming out your hood. And he's like, no. I'm like, yeah, I think you're, I think you should pull over. Like, I think there might be a fire. He's like, no, there's no way. And I'm like, all right, well just pull over. There's like a spot. There's like a, kind of a turnaround, like you can kind of swing wide at, by, by, up in my shop. So he swings around on the road and he kind of pulls over. He pops the hood. As soon as he opens the hood, the flames shoot out of the hood, like six feet out. Like it's like full-blown fucking fire. This dude is panicking. He's like, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, man, I was like, pour whatever you have in the car on it. He's pouring fucking coffee. It's a show car. He's pouring fucking coffee on this thing. And then he's like, what do I do? And I'm like, the fire's not going out. I take my laptop. I unplug it from the car. I'm like, I'm not fucking getting my laptop burned down this fucking car. I was like, there was, it was, it was summertime and it was dry. I was like, take dirt and start throwing dirt at it. Cause I'm like, something it could to smother, smother, it. smother it. Right. Take like, so off or something. I don't know. We're dig, we're digging in the dirt and we're just throwing dirt in this guy's <laughs> engine bay. Right. So the next thing you know, this is <laughs> next thing you know, this old shitty truck pulls up next to us. These two guys, they're like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's on fire. I need anything. I need, give me some water. The guy gives him like Mountain Dew and like some other shit. We're like bombing. He's like bombing all this shit and it's still on fire. The lady across the street. So it was like kind of like a, a two lane road and the lady across the street at a house. She comes down out of this her drive. sounds like a family lady. guy skit. Dude, it's so the lady goes, she's like, it's on fire. He's like, I know. He's like, call the police, call the police, call the fire department. She's like, it's going to burn to the ground. Just let it go. <laughs> he's, he's freaking out. Finally, the, another car pulled up and they had like a big bottle of water. We put the fire out. So the fire is out. And I'm like, I'm just looking at this thing. It's, there's dirt in the fucking engine bay. There's coffee. There's Mountain Dew. It's a fucking mess. Like, it just looks disgusting. And the guy's like. It's a vending machine throw up. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy's like, what am I going to do? I got to get home. My wife can't find out. I'm like, 
How are we going to get it from here to the shop two miles down? He tries to start the car. It's drive-by wire. It fried all the wires at the firewall, which is the main harness. I'm like, there's like 60 wires burnt, dude. You aren't going anywhere. He's like, I got to get home. My wife can't find out. I'm like, you better call a tow truck. Yeah, I don't know. So we, I don't see how this is my problem. <laughs> so so he, we tow it back to the shop. And he's like, listen, I can't let my wife know no matter what. He's like, can I borrow a pair of dykes and, and some heat shrink and some solder? I'm going to try to fix my harness. I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever, man. Like I had another appointment. So he's outside in the parking lot, cutting the harness apart and just going piece by piece, wire by wire, rebuilding the harness. Somehow this fucking thing still runs. Like he gets it, puts it, <laughs> right? So he go, he leaves, he gets home. And like, I shit you not, the next day he goes, Hey, I'm the guy with the car that the, the guy that the, the car caught on fire. He's like, so my nav screen doesn't display vehicle speed right. What do you think that is? I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me right now? Ever like, since you tuned the car, my nav doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, ever since your car like almost burned to the ground. And then um I think one of the more ridiculous situations was I had a there's a group of Honda kids that I tuned for years. They have like well, the ring. You were like the stories. I I'm like, yeah, you tune on oh, shit. So, dude, it's crazy. But this is one of the crazy ones. So this guy, this guy uh, Hector, he's like the ringleader for all these cars that were <laughs> coming up to the shop. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he had a nitrous car. It was like a B series nitrous car, and it's on S300. And he he's built cars before. He knows what he's doing, and you know whatever. So he brings the car up and. Uh, I always ask, what nitrous jet's in it? Is it jet it right? Have you checked your jets? Yeah, 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 it's all good. All right. We tune it on motor, it's fine. First pull, turns the bottle on, let the bottle heater go, get warmed up. I go do the pull. Literally, the car goes into nitrous for a fraction of a second. I mean a fraction of a second. It exploded. All the rods went on the floor. Like, like the whole entire block, the, the, the like the whole was like, like the entire front of... video where it throws half the yes. block and just spits all the pieces everywhere. Yeah. Legitimate. It was, it was vaporized. The throttle body, there was a, there was a, he had an intake on it, like a cold air intake or whatever. It, the nitrous hit, it shot the rods out all within like, you know, it was like, I just literally just sat there in awe just what happened because it was so quick. The intake shot off with like a 20 foot fireball behind it and blew like across the shop. And I literally was like, I got out of the car. There's coolant oil everywhere, smoke everywhere. I'm like, dude, did you check the nitrous jet? He's like, no, I know I did. He's like, my boy put it in. It's good. He takes it out. There's no nitrous jet at all in it. It's just straight into the motor. It, ugh. That, that was, I mean, that was one of many, but like, that was kind of crazy. The fireball was impressive. It was like 20-foot flame. Legit. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I always but... look at jets, and man, it's been years since I nicked like a ringland on something. And maybe, I don't know, I think it was like three or four weeks ago, uh, I, I said to someone like, yeah, you have Turbo LS. I'm like, yeah, you have like BR7s. The most thing I'm uh, I'm like, is it gapped really tight? Is it like 18 uh and they're like oh yeah and i'm like like br7s and they're like yeah well after like i had a really conservative pump gas because it was going to be a flex tune pump and then flex and i was really safe on ignition and it did good and i dumped in a little bit more like i wasn't even close to where 
they normally are very happy. And it was like smoking on D-Cell on the second hit. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? Like, it wasn't before. So I'm like, oh, we should look. And we temp the cylinders quick and we can see, we pull the plugs and they're like, oh, this one's oily. I wasn't there. And I, I'm like, oh, let me see it. It's like an Iridium 55. Like oh. I, like a TR fifty five IX. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. hotter than stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a turbo car, and I'll, he's like, "Yeah, my my friend," and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, uh, I guess I'm gonna have yeah. to make people pull plugs." Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Elmo with the mushroom cloud meme. I'm, are you familiar with that? No. Where Elmo's standing there, and there's like a nuke going off near him. <laughs> Lots of people are talking about the nitrous thing was like you with the Elmo meme. Oh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Was his name really Hector? (laughs) Legitimately is Hector, yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) What's your favorite digital dash solution for a Mac CCU if you have one? I guess they don't have good ones or there's too many shitty ones. I mean, I use uh, aim dashes are great. I mean, the, the, all the AIM stuff works really well for most every system. So AIM is usually what I go to. Um, you know, there's obviously all kinds of options, but the, the TFT display on the AIMs are nice. The newer stuff's nice. Uh, and then how good is closed-loop fueling on Max ECU? Is it as good as a Holly? Yeah. Most of the processor speed's quick. Um, and as long as your PID gains are dialed right, yeah, it's it's fast. You can, fast. yeah, you can do anything you want with it. Similar to Holly, yeah. And this one is, uh, how do you tune exhaust VVT for the most power? And have you seen a trend for optimal position with boost? This is my friend that does the forty two hundred stuff, and he saw some interesting things while doing VVT, like back pressure would move around and amount of yes. ignition timing. So yes. That's so I mean, if it's a if it's a turbo engine. When you're you're moving your VVT, you're dialing in more or less overlap with your you know, your your cam position. Um, on a turbo turbo setup, you typically run a bunch of a, a bunch of retard to get your exhaust mass flow up. So the goal is to push your intake charge through. You, you have a bunch of advance on your intake and on your exhaust. You're retarding it a bunch. You're getting that overlap you know, as much as overlap as you can. You're basically pushing through, getting a blow through effect. You're getting your manifold pressure to push out your exhaust to increase your exhaust mass flow to spool your turbo quicker. And as soon as you're getting about to that mid-range point, you start to reel it back in and pretty much tighten it down to almost nothing. You know, you're pretty much, it's going to depend on the motor. It really depends on, you know, if you have a small turbo with high back pressure, that could obviously change. If you have a bigger turbo, sometimes you can get away with leaving a little bit more retard on your, your exhaust phasing. Um, it kind of depends on what you're dealing with, what you're dialing in. Same thing with naturally aspirated, but typically you're rolling back that retard to, you know, to zero up top, um, get rid of that overlap. And, and, and in, in terms of knock, um, you know, in a turbo engine, when you do have that exhaust mass flow up, um, typically your cylinder pressure drops a little bit and typically you can run a little bit more advanced when you're, when you're going after more retard position or, or, you know, cam phasing on the exhaust. So. You know, and again, when, when I'm ever I'm doing it, I'm typically watching knock sensor per cylinder and monitoring everything at the same time. So I actually know what I'm getting away with. Not I'm not guessing it. I hate guessing on spark timing. So I hate it. It's like playing with fire. <laughs> it's 
So he says awesome. Thanks. I always love hearing second opinions. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my buddy Chris says, "Yep, them K's sweep it in every five degrees of angle and overlay to build the baddest curve." Yep, lots of gain with the uh, cam timing for sure. And then th uh, someone here is saying, uh, "Have you tuned many E85 cars with no intercooler? And if you, if you did, did they live or die? And some act like it was almost the same cooling as M1, and some act like it'll burn down first pass." From doing a lot of stock turbo cars on ethanol with stock intercoolers. So your air temps, you're running a lot more boost and air temps definitely go through the roof. Like you're picking up, you know, 180, 200 degree air temps. If you're watching it, you know, through the core, a stock core, like I'm talking about like a stock, uh, like a stock WRX or something similar, you're picking up a ton of air temperature and you're running ethanol. It's definitely... Um, not as important to have a good intercooler in that situation, but I have directly swapped intercoolers to a better core. Um, so in terms of intercooler, like poor intercooler or good intercooler, there's still power gain to be had. And typically if you're watching knock, the engine starts to become way less knock sensitive on, you know, good intercooler setup. Um, I personally would always run an intercooler of some sort on ethanol. Methanol is a different beast. You can definitely get a little bit more, um, uh, get away with more on a methanol car. But, um, I personally would always run some type of intercooler. So. Yeah. I've, I've only done like maybe five non intercooled cars and it's usually, uh, ones where people aren't going to beat it up. Aren't really going to drag race it. You know, I guess it, it depends on your boost too. Yeah. It really you depends on how much boost and you're cranking them. Yeah, inlet air temp without it, blah blah blah. And my yeah, like you said, how much rise? If it's 200 degree rise over 15 seconds, it's fucking terrible. So yeah, it doesn't matter. You're gonna lose power, and if, and, and if you're watching knock again, it's gonna start knocking. It's out. It, it'll knock on ethanol, and you'll see it, and you'll lose power. So I want to hear. Uh, that's what I'm gonna do with my all motor combo next. I want to hear nails in a paint can with ethanol <laughs> you gotta really push it i'm gonna find it don't worry <laughs> is there an advantage this is good is there an advantage to running two smaller gates on each bank of a v8 car uh relative to one large gate uh you know perfectly blended in he says he ran a 50 millimeter last season and didn't have issues he's curious if uh he should change things up to you know two small ones is good or bad or as long as you can control boost it doesn't matter i mean it's going to come down to if you're watching your emap pressure uh exhaust manifold pressures you'll find if you're running two small gates chances are your surface area of your valve of total so if you're looking at two 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 38 mil gates let's say a small it's probably the smallest you can really run and you're running a single 50 you have more surface area on the 38s you'll find that your exhaust manifold pressure will technically be a little bit lower when those gates are open if you're not trying to slam the gate shut and build a lot of boost at that point it doesn't matter like once your valves are shut and you're trying to go after all the boost it's not going to matter um but what you'll find is sometimes you can get a little slower spool with a larger valve size because you have some you have more surface area to bleed off your exhaust pressure so if you're monitoring your emap and you can kind of keep track of that 
you can see there is a difference there. Um, you know, in the import stuff, like the drag cars, if we're trying to go after a shitload of boost, you usually run a smaller gate and you usually get a little bit quicker spool out of it hmm. because your exhaust, your exhaust manifold pressure, you're not bleeding off, um, you know, a, as much at the lower level when you're trying to regulate things. So, yeah, that's interesting. It's totally opposite of people always say you want to have too much gate most of the time, but I think that's in a car where you want to not run 60 pounds. Well, only if you're having issues controlling the boost. If you're able to maintain, if you're putting in a 10 pound spring and you're getting 10 pounds yeah. and you're not getting creep, then there's no need to go up and size the gate up any larger than you need to. But it's you don't need to, jump theory to, the to go to go lower to get better, to get that little bit of extra spool. It's neat to hear the, you're talking about the 5% stuff. Yeah, no, it, it makes a difference. And like I said, if you, if you look at and monitor EMAP, you'll see it. You'll see your EMAPs slightly lower and that may, and, the, and it just, and when that's lower, your spin. horsepower is usually better and your outlet temperature is usually better, right? It, 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 it can be. Yeah. It depends. You're sometimes your spool time will, will suffer just a little bit. It'll spool just a little bit slower. So, I mean, I personally, if you're not having issues with creep, don't change it. So this guy's been asking this for a while. I got to ask, he says, do you run, okay. a, do you need, or do you run a blow off valve on a turbo car? I always do. I mean, it's, it depends on what type of racing you're doing. People don't run blow off valves on drag cars, like a drift car. I won't live more than 10 minutes on, on the track without so a blow off pedaling. Pedaling. Yep. Yeah, it'll, I mean, literally just, just trash the shafts, break them, eat the bearings out of the turbo. Have to, I've had drift guys go, I'm not running a blow off valve. I'm like, okay, whatever. Put a bunch of turbos in the car. So they add a blow off valve and a drag car. Again, it's, it's, if you're wide open the whole run and you lift at the end, you know, you're, you're going to get that, that one time you're getting the back feed through the compressor and, yeah, probably I'm handle doing that a thousand footer, and I finally lift at the end. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's sneezing out of its face. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. another a good one here is my buddy uh, Robert Young, the guy that owns Force Performance. Yeah. He says, "Please talk about the new style of GM eighteen plus torque target based ECUs." <laughs> Um, well, is that like a whole new strategy? That's a pain in the ass that I don't know about. So the GM, the, the, the gen five. So I can't speak of like the C8 Corvette. I, I don't know anything about any of the mapping on that new, but in 18 and newer, everything is, is heavily airflow based. Well, it's torque based, but everything is airflow based. So when you're calibrating, you have to calibrate the mass airflow and the, then the VE at the same time. They have to be done in unison because it's um, it calls on, and even if you're trying to tune it mass airflow-based, it's still calling on and looking at your VE model at any given time. And that's a virtual VE. So it's, um, it's coefficients that are blended together into a table that you would interface as a VE table. You know it as, in the ta- as a VE table. But when you're calibrating those, the number one problem that I see in the torque-based models of people having problems with transmission shifting or drive-by-wire problems, it usually comes down to the airflow models not being dialed in together. And if you have a separation of even 5%, 10%, it can lead to all kinds of problems. Usually under the transient events, 
it's switching over and looking at the VE based model and then steady state, it usually tries to run the math model. Um, but the torque is all based on knowing your maximum brake torque reference and then your actual spark timing. And then it's looking at your airflow model heavily and it's looking at your command at Lambda and knowing all of that, it can figure out at any given time, your torque, everything speaks in language of torque. So if you don't have and what you're typically interfacing with in terms of calibrating, if you add bolts onto the car or a supercharger or a turbocharger, whatever, you need to dial the airflow model in. The number one problem I see people have is they don't do, they just put it in a math mode and they don't dial the speed density in and it starts creeping and leading into problems. So you'll get throttle closure, you'll get all kinds of torque issues. And it just goes back to like the fundamentals, the basics. It's just like the airflow model is not right. Um, so the guy who owns the dyno has a 14 Silverado regular cab short bed, and then it has the L83 and it has Mm -hmm. a Whipple on it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to touch this. (laughs) I'm not interested. I don't know. And I don't want to test on your vehicle. And he must've had like five different places try. And no matter what the, the trans would shift like garbage or the throttle when you floor it, it would just were, and I'm like, yeah. I know it's torque based stuff, but I don't even want to mess with it and blow the thing up for no reason. But I thought it was funny how many people could not reputable, could not get it going. And now but, it's at a place you probably know it's near us. I don't know anything about them. It's called tune time performance. Yeah. I think they're Jersey. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's somewhere. They do a lot of the late model stuff. Yeah. Late model. Yeah. Stuff. So he has it there and he's heard a lot of good stuff about that. So mm-hmm. We'll see how that ends up. It'll be nice if he can. He's had this truck forever and can't floor the damn thing for most of its yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the probably the biggest problem with doing any of the newer GM and Fords, even Dodge stuff. To calibrate them properly, it takes you you, you can't whack them in an hour and get them done. It takes quite a bit of time and driving cycles to populate the data. If you're using HP tuners, for example, and going through your histograms and setting up all your filters to properly calibrate everything together in terms of the math and speed density, just for example, or the V, to get that airflow model as tight as possible so that everything downstream falls in line. So the torque model falls in line. Most of the people who are going to be calibrating and tuning, and I mean, I know because I've been doing it forever, you can't, not that you can't spend four or five hours on a, on a car, but no one wants to do that. And this stuff takes quite a bit of time and driving cycles to go through and get everything down as tight as possible. It's just not, you, you can't do it in an hour. So that's why I think a lot of people or a lot of people will go, like I was mentioning before, they'll put it into a math mode with the GMECU. So they'll be just running half of the airflow model and you get into trans problems when a shift's commanded because the trans tables are in language of torque. So it's looking at a torque yeah, reference. I know about that. And, yeah. But that's and, and, just and, annoying and, that no one could really help us. It, it's most likely because they're not spending the calibration time. It just, you can't do it quick. So it's and the I name of the game. The patience. I don't have the patience. <laughs> I don't want to learn yeah. and I, I don't care. I just yeah. don't want to go there. I'm like, yeah, give me some yeah. Gen 3 LS garbage with a Holly and yeah. simple. Else. Yeah, I don't yeah. really. 
I don't, I, like I said, it's a hobby, so I don't want to be accountable for a brand new truck that I'm expected to make run great, and I'm just not going to. Yeah. Oh, someone had a, uh, oh, Chris says, wait till you get to the 19 plus. It's even more fun. <laughs> this guy goes, Jeff, do you have a MySpace? MySpace. We talked about it earlier. I think it might we might have been offline or just muted for the first ten minutes. But Jeff has a social media account that hasn't been touched in twenty years. So twenty years. You just don't use any of them. Even if you did have one, no. you just no. It's not important. No. Yeah. Nope. Where was there's something else here? Oh, potatoes on here. There's a guy that's on all my live streams. His name is Potato R thirty three and his questions are legendary what's your favorite tool in your toolbox that you absolutely have to have he's the guy that's great for breaking up the serious questions nice tool huh i gotta think uh multimeter probably oh, nice. i'm always using it all the time like Does it have literally to be a good one or is a dollar harbor freight one good also for years and years and years i've when i started out probably 15 years I had Craftsman tools. I had, you know, a $10, $20 multimeter. I had the most basic stuff tuning forever. And it's not, I mean, it works. Like you don't need, the only time you'd need a fancy scope, uh, a fancy meter would be if you're trying to do something with like amp tests, for example, like you got to have something that, a clamp, you know, or yeah. if you're trying yeah, like there's, you know, so it just depends on what you're doing with it. But if you're doing continuity checks and volt, you know, volt tests and, you know, voltage or whatever, you don't need anything fancy. Five a lot of the basics. Special. Yeah. Buy yeah. $25 worth of stuff, get this yellow multimeter for free. <laughs> yeah, it works. Those are great. You drop it, you kick it across the floor. You have three yeah. of, It's like the tape measures. Yeah. Put one in every corner of the shop. Yeah. Where's something else was here? Oh, one of them I can remember was what ECU would you like to see some sort of revamp on? Like what's a capable one that the software sucks or what's a good software one that the hardware sucks? Like on the top of your, whatever you can mm -hmm. think of, like what is badly deserving something you can suggest? I mean, fuel tech, I, I, in my opinion, needs to to have more user adjustability in the software i mean because it's so popular and everybody's getting into it and, and it's, it's like good the, other than you can't do what you want to do like you were saying function earlier. functionality wise it works it doesn't do anything that it then you're not telling it to do you know it doesn't do stupid shit where it's like old school aem stuff i mean they they i probably have months of my time lost in troubleshooting bullshit with with all the uh, the old school AEM stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah, fuel tech. I think... That stuff is a disaster. Even early Infinity was terrible, but I think it's all firmware yeah, it was. now, right? Yeah, the new stuff. Well, the new stuff. I don't think they're going to do anything more with it in terms of development, because um, Hollyball AEM. Oh, so that happened. My at rep birth. said that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're just buying everybody. Yeah, and um, so that's. Uh, I don't think the development wise are going to go any further with it, but yeah, for, I mean, firmware wise, Infinity's improved a lot since when it came out. I wouldn't use it for the first probably year or two. 
I tend to be that way with standalone stuff. Like when a system comes out, I usually shy away from dealing with it for at least six months to, to a year because it's always just like you're the guinea pig and working out all the bugs and it's super frustrating. It's but, just like first year of a car. It's just That's a very yeah. IT thing too. I don't want to yeah. touch. New operating system comes out and people are like, wow. And then they're like, all my shit's gone. And I had no idea that would happen. I'm like, yeah, yeah. are you older than two years old? Because that's <laughs> exactly what happens. Early adopter yeah. of a phone. Oh, this phone has issues. No shit. That's yeah. what it does. What is yeah. my buddy Chris goes, if you had the choice of getting kicked in the dick every morning or having an H22, <laughs> what shoes would you prefer they use? <laughs> H22. It's crazy. I still tune those freaking things. People still like, they, they love I them. I think you missed it, Chris. His first car was an automatic prelude. Oh, boy. Oh, my buddy Joe asked, uh, how do you feel about, how sad are you that H22s are basically extinct? <laughs> I don't care. You That's have like, no emotional that, attachment to no, the VC or the no. engine. No, none at all. <laughs> what else is in here? Oh, well, I'll ask one from the... Uh, what's your favorite vehicle you have tuned or maybe one that you were expecting a low number out of that was extremely good, that kind of thing? You have something just mm. blindside you, like this is going to be garbage, and then it was awesome. I've had quite a few things like that over the years. Things surprise me. I'm trying to just think of like something that stands out. I agree with that too. Like, uh, I've had a bunch of cars where they are just pouring white smoke like a bad power stroke. They make yeah. 700 horsepower, and I just laugh the whole time. Smoking yeah, yeah. under throat, like pouring smoke, like. This is awesome. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can't you get away with that, but I'm with the person. No. I'm like, man, this is pouring smoke and we're both laughing. <laughs> no, I would definitely not get away with like that. Like I said, I'm like some weird Switzerland version of tuning and internet, <laughs> which I yeah. enjoy uh, profusely. Yeah, yeah. Nothing strikes a bell. Just It's probably because you've no. done so many Hondas and there's like, you do 10... If you do 10 in a day, two of them look like absolute shit, but make 500 horsepower. There's been a lot of that stuff. I, I've had, I mean, it goes through, there's so many cars. It's been like thousands and thousands of cars. I mean, yeah, I mean I'm mean, i sure there's been like plenty of stuff that. How many do you do, you do a year? Like 220 cars a year? Probably double that. Because wow. I do a lot of, I do a lot of um, e-tuning. Oh, okay. So I do, I, I, I deal with a lot of stuff. It's all just like this now in your brain. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing more like the remote stuff than I am even in house. Oh, nice. And in some ways I kind of prefer that because like, you're not waiting for somebody to change the spark plugs. You're not waiting for somebody to go and switch the fuel in the car or like, you know what I mean? They're dealing with it on their end and it's like they shoot the logs back and it's ready to go and keep calibrating. And so, yeah. Have, oh, see, people don't know you have that video. I guess we just have to link him. Have him share oh, things that piss off your tuner the most when you come in to tune their car. 
Oh, that's easy. And Joe, Joe has, we've talked about this on the other radio shows with Joe Simpson and yeah, but what are, what are your pet peeves? All, all of them. <laughs> Dude, I, dead battery, low gas, coolant, not bled. Uh, Hey, can you change my oil before we tune? Um, oh, man, I've, I've had, uh, I, I've, I've had people show up with timing belts, like a B-series or D-series. Yo, before we can get started tuning, can you throw this timing belt on for me? Like crazy shit. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not doing that shit. Like, no, like we're here for a tuning <laughs> appointment. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's if you can't bring the car, start it and running with the basic mechanical things taken care of, like car doesn't overheat. The car has oil in it. It has oil pressure. It has a battery that's charging, like with the alternator. Like just it's the basic shit. You have fuel in the car. I always not remember, like I had a little bit of an overheating issue before I brought my bubble turbo eBay bubble over to you, and yeah. that was funny because I tuned it ahead of time, and then I had you tune it anyway just to be a troll. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, you like you quit making power where I quit uh, tuning it too. And then I'm like, oh, where'd you end up? This much boost and this much timing? And you're like, what the fuck? Why did you even bring this here? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I just wanted to hang out and just fucking no reason. But uh, yeah, mine was like overheating and weird. And I did like a thermostat. And then I remember leaving super early. Like I'm one of those people that's nervous and I need to leave early. And I like yeah. one two the balls out of it, leaving near my house and broke the fucking shifter off in the floor. <laughs> like snapped it off. I was like, you got to be shitting me. I have to nice. go up there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I just broke the fucking shifter off in this stupid ass car. That was many years ago now. That was probably what, eight, ten years uh, ago? Yeah, I'd have to look. Yeah, Were I'd you break... at my old shop? No, it was the new one. Were you? Yeah, it was the. Okay. I've been there for about 12, 12 years or so, maybe. 2009, I was in there. Yeah, I remember. I think I brought plugs and we swapped them like midway through. Oh, yeah. And I remember I you, have that, you have that giant box fan and we just put everything on it. And I'm like, this is a nice tool bench. And then I just was, <laughs> I just asked stupid shit the whole time. <laughs> uh, you had the face where you're like, go the fuck away. No, I probably was like, how is this guy not asking stupid questions? Like, people ask the dumbest shit, so. <laughs> well, that's what I, I would just say shit like, uh, I'm like, oh, so 50 degrees or, you know, I was just trying to be that guy. And it's, I just, yeah. you know, it wasn't working out. <laughs> what is, uh, how do things like being a regular tuner, does he missed out on the, nah, that's. One of the good ones my friend had asked up here was, how was your transition from, or how was it, do, like, opening the school uh, videos online? I know Joe Simpson's doing the same thing. He has a thing, it's called Tune the Trilogy, which is, like, the Holly Sniper, okay. Holly Dot, like, all the, the Holly stuff, because people are, yeah. Holly's so hot right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a big transition. I mean, you go from tuning six days a week, and then you're, like... I need to film and you got, you know, build the content and do all of it. <clears throat> it's a, it's weird when you're used to just being at the shop for 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week to transitioning to like, now you're talking to yourself in front of a camera <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just like, it's weird. 
and well like you said to me you're like someone's interacting with me in front of the video here oh super 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 weird i'm usually just talking to myself into a camera like it's (laughs) or like you know it's just yeah but i mean the, the transition um it was a learning curve, a big learning curve, because I, I had limited um, filming and editing experience. Hmm. So I knew what I wanted to do. And then it's just trying to put it together, like making it look professional and making, you know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably a year or two till I got like comfortable enough where I was like, OK, yeah, this is this is like normal. But yeah. Someone someone paid five dollars to ask this question <laughs> oh boy so we're gonna oh ask it right away does pineapple oh belong on pizza pineapple on pizza that's awful that's a no uh, no that's not no, ladies and gentlemen no and then how much injector do i need for 700 wheel on a 5.3 with e85 with a gt500 and a dodge d100 this is i mean i do this stuff all the time so he's probably asking me but a gt45 is like the hundred dollar ebay turbo that chokes at like 710 to the tire so you're not even going to make 700 on e but yeah i don't know an 80 pounder would probably be fine for that decap stock injectors are 75 pound so just do that because the turbo is just going to be laying over hard at like 500. Sometimes you can push it into the 600 range. That's what I think. I, you probably don't touch that shit. Yeah, I was going to say like a 1,000 cc, 9,500 pound injector would probably do it. I usually oversize stuff a little bit. Well, also, just... you're most, uh, you're, well, you do a lot of everything. So that's I do everything. Fair. I was going to yeah. say, oh, well, four cylinder stuff, you kind of want to go big, but the same thing it's just yeah. you know double the injector for a v8 yeah yeah flow rate and horsepower are as easy to calculate so yeah i always tell yeah. people to throw those gt i wish they would stop making those gt45s terrible for i'm sure i'm sure I've seen it, but... yeah it's that garbage giant generic looking it's like a wish.com diesel turbo oh and it's it was awesome 10 years ago when you couldn't get a damn thing. But now, like, yeah. uh, Billet 7875 Gen 2 from VS Racing will make 950 wheel on a V8 car on E. Yeah. And it'll light way faster, and it's physically smaller, and it's it's better in every way possible. But people want that piece of garbage, but whatever. Yeah. Uh... What is this? Uh, someone, uh, people were asking about locked out fuel pressure for like all motor cars. Would you bother hooking up the reference for an all motor car? Well, it depends. Um, is it like an OCD thing where you just like to have it connected or does it matter in the long run? Or it's, again, it depends. It depends on what you're going after. So if you have an all motor car, and you have sequential fuel injection and you're able to go after injection timing. Hmm. If you have a really large fuel injector, we'll give you more time to move that injector point end of injection. If it's port referenced end of injection based moving your EOI around to get your spray to hit the valve when you want. So 
you can pick a power on an NA motor by moving your injection timing around. The reason why I'm mentioning this is if you have a big injector, you would want to have vacuum reference to the regulator because you'll be able to deal with the injector um, and being able to control it a little bit better at the slightly lower fuel pressure at idle and part throttle. Um, and you'd get the benefit of running a big injector and being able to move that end of injection timing around, potentially picking up power there. I've seen some motors, um, not so much on the four cylinder stuff, but on V6 and V8 motors, there's a considerable amount of power you can, you can find in injection timing and drivability. You can sometimes improve your drivability pretty drastically. And, uh, um, I would vacuum reference the regulator. If it was, you know, if it was me building an all motor project, I would run a big injector. So I have more time to move that EOI around at higher PM, try to find some power and then get the benefit of controlling the injector a little bit better on the bottom end. I've heard that, that you want to be under like 40% to get the best amount of phasing. It's a, yeah, roughly. You get over half, you start losing the yeah. resolution window or whatever you would call well, it. Your, your, your cycle time starts to drop and then it's not going to matter as much of where you're spraying the fuel where it's getting in. Um, so, yeah. I have just started learning how to do that. And it's mostly because Holly has implemented a calculator and mm -hmm. the latest revisions and you can type in the cam events and hit yep. calculate a table. And I have, yep. it's a huge difference. Like if you have a set of two tens in a car, huge mm -hmm. difference for idle quality, uh, smell drivability. Mm -hmm. And a bunch mm -hmm. of times I've seen cars pick up like 40 wheel on a turbo mm -hmm. car with just being phased. And I yep. was like, wow, this is, that's nice for a freebie typing in some numbers and clicking. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Once you get your injection timing down, I mean, this goes for any engine that you can move injection timing around. Um, I typically calibrate everything with a fixed injection timing. Holly's a little bit different the way it references it, but typically if it's like a traditional EOI end of injection reference timing value, 360 is what you can put in for most any engine. It'll run pretty well. Calibrate your fuel model, airflow model, get it all dialed in. And then you can play with your end of injection timing, watch like your closed loop trims, and you can move it around to the point where you're finding that um, either if you're going after economy, you'll see where the closed loop trims are taking the fuel away up to a certain point where they kind of hit a wall as you're just changing your injection timing. Then once that's set, you can go back in and redo your fuel table and that could be a five or 10% difference in your fueling that you've changed without initially touching your fuel table. And you can pick up, you know, a bunch of economy just by mapping that out. Also, it improves your transient throttle, your Excel throttle, because you're getting the fuel into the engine more efficiently. And I as you're having that a too, like the, yes. the throttle response is way better. Yep. Yep. You're not having to chase that transient event. It's, it's more direct getting in so yeah so i usually do trial and error oh uh, move just by moving them around yeah i'm sure mm -hmm. if i got better at it it would be nice to you know learn how to move those around a little bit to help out but the calculator just does it and i'm like okay cool it's probably splitting hairs at that point like yeah, once you uh, get it close people say the same thing someone made like a custom excel sheet and they're like oh it's like five percent better and 
I'm like, yeah. uh, well, okay. Add a bigger turbo. Usually, usually I rough it in and then I get, and then I just, you know, manually do a little bit of trial and error. I, well, yeah, trial and error. And then I kind of sort it out that way. Someone had asked You can find it pretty quick. And I can't. It was Savage Fabrication. He does a lot of diesel stuff. And he mm. had asked, like, uh, it was something along the lines of when is there going to be something splitting between, like, a million-dollar Bosch diesel ECU versus, like, a, a stock one? I wish I could find it. Let me... Is there anything keeping modern standalone systems from being able to be used on EFI diesel engines? Hmm. Like a, like a Holly or a Haltech on a diesel. What's the hold up there? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't do a whole lot of diesel shit. Um, I, I would think it's going to, it's going to be controlling based on rail pressures based on, you know, the hardware and technology is like for a direct injection gas motor, there's only a handful of standalones can even do it. And, 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 you know, comparable dealing with the control strategies, drive the the injector and then deal with the pressures. And, and, and uh, so it's probably hardware based, you know, and demand. So, you know, you'd have to have enough people to want to pay for it mm-hmm. or somebody to put the money into it. Hit up, hit up Paltech and see if they'll do it. Yeah. I know they love doing like custom firmware shit. I know you can call them. Like if you have a car that has a totally different trigger wheel, they'll go in with you and log and make a firmware update for your trigger. Yep. Yep. So that's yep. a lot of companies Maybe do that. get interested in. He should start hooking up with someone like that. Cause Savage Fab guy is incredible diesel stuff. So I'm sure maybe they're just looking for you to cross that bridge. Yeah. <laughs> I helped a guy tune a car, a small block Chevy the engine dynoed 650 horsepower. He installed a GT45 on it and it made 380 rear wheel. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 100%. I believe it. It's just fucking garbage. Uh, it's good for like a 200 horsepower 5.3 and you want to make 460. 10 years ago, there was nothing better in my opinion, but... A little bit after that, the 7875 and stuff came out, and that thing has been my bro for forever. But, uh, yeah. What did someone ask a good one here, too? I'm looking. Uh, oh, what is your thoughts on a decap injector? I mean, as long as the flow rate is consistent, yeah. it should be fine. Doesn't matter. Yeah. People get very emotional about it, but because uh, I've done a bunch of videos on it, and for like a budget option, it's incredible. Uh, you can take the stock mm-hmm. injectors, 25, 28 pound out of a truck intake. And I've done two videos on how to decap them successfully. And uh, there's a guy on Sloppy that's kind of like the go to. Uh, he's not sponsored and nothing by anybody, and he has two as new machines, and he'll clean and flow them and give you a sheet. If you send, I mean, uh, best case scenario is you get two sets 16 and then you decap and send them to him and then he does like a one percent match set Mm. and they work great they always average out to about 75 pounder some of the more rare part numbers can go to like 105 and 96 and something like that but like the shittiest ones laying around can be 75 pounds and that covers a lot of bases for the budget turbo crew so 
yeah, yeah. I think they're great other people are like oh, i won't talk out so if some people like i said are very emotional yeah as long as they're consistent in flow rates all it matters if fuel goes in yeah the other one was uh uh, this is one that I already have my uh, answers to, but we're going to hear what you have to say. When tuning a turbo combo for max safe power, uh, is this is an in-tank pump, and I have different reasons for answering what I do too. Uh, for max safe power, would you start with a lower base pressure to not stress the fuel pump? Example, 43 pounds versus 58 pounds on a 4.8, 78, 75, Walbro. 525 regular fuel truck rails and a six feet in return. Did you get all that? In general. So if we're talking about fuel pump, just performance in general, I'm going to consider flow chart for the actual pump amp draw for the pump. I'm going to consider max boost. I'm going to be running and then base pressure. And if you look at a lot of like a lot of pumps, there's going to be that tipping point where let's say you're running 30 pounds of boost. Let's say you had 58 pound base. You're getting up there around 90 PSI. You might find the amp draw is super high, 14, 18 amps. And you might find that the actual flow rate out of the pump either starts to decrease or it just kind of tapers at 80 and doesn't do much more past 80. Some of them have a, 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 a bypass valve that'll open up and actually won't, it'll start to dump pressure. It depends on the pump. Um, I personally, depending on what the power level would need and what the fuel pump can output, I would personally try to run a lower base pressure to start off with. I'd usually run th- a three, three bar, a 300 KPA, 43 and a half PSI to start off with, and then see where I'm end, end up for duty cycle, see where the, you know, kind of the fuel system pans out at. And then look at the boost level. And if I need more, I will up the base pressure. Um, and then obviously looking at the flow rate chart for the pump, because like you can keep turning up the base pressure. The difference that you're going to get out of the injector going from three to 400 KPA, like 43 to 58 pounds, isn't astronomical difference in flow rate. So it's going to depend on you know a bunch of factors. I try to run the lower base pressures um, for a lot of reasons. Most of the stuff I'm tuning runs huge injectors. So the lower the base pressure, easier it is to control this lower pulse widths, get a little bit better drivability, idle quality out of it. Um, it really comes down to what the, the application is going to be. Um, so I would say similarly, almost all in-tank pumps nose pretty hard the 60 to 80 range. So I yeah. always tell people, uh, I've had some cars uh, with two 10s in them that we do like a 30 base, and they run great. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really bother them at all. But yeah, if you're going to run, people always do that same thing where they want to run a crazy base to get their injector larger. And I'm like, well, you're already at the point where the pumps don't yep. want to be, and then you're adding boost, so you're actually yep. getting less fuel flow. And- yep, less flow. You, usually the best way to go about, I mean the way I try to go about with the tuning is always integrating a fuel pressure sensor into the fueling strategy. So you'll do like injector pressure differential as a lookup for flow rate for injector flow rate. So if you're dealing with a VE based fuel model and you have injector flow rate as you know, your variable you're specifying, if you're integrating fuel pressure with it. Your, your base pressure that you're looking up based on your fuel pressure sensor and your 
manifold pressure. So your, your differential pressure, um, it'll allow you to vary your, your, your base pressure. So if you're tuning the car out and you have your table set up that way and you're including fuel pressure in your calculations, you can change your base pressure wherever you want after you tune the car. And as long as your injector data is correct for that and your latency and all that's correct, you can move your base pressure around experiment and there's no, you don't have to sit there and retune the car each time. A lot of times I will do that because a lot of cars I do fuel pressure comped and it just makes it so much nicer because you're, you know, or if there's a fuel pressure drop, it's already incorporating that into the fuel calculation. It's going, all right, the injectors. It's a good idea because almost all the Holly systems come with an oil pressure and fuel pressure setup. So doing an offset would be, I mean, once you have a decent one, it probably applies to 90% of the cars if they're similar anyway. Yeah. You'd have to look at, I mean, with the Holly, that you would have to do an advanced table and an offset. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Yeah, usually, um, so it depends on like, okay, it's a, a link or or an infinity. You can build your flow rate table out based on your base pressure, your injector differential pressure. So you can say at 30 pounds, the injector flows 800 cc. At 40 pounds, it flows, you know, whatever, 900 cc, you know, keep going up and down. As that fuel pressure changes, your flow rate's constantly being updated in the calculation. So um, it's just the way to do it for sure. The way to go about it, especially on a turbo car. I think like 85 to 90% of the cars I ever tune have a fuel pressure problem. Like every car has a fuel pressure problem. It's there. Yeah. It's so easy to make power in my opinion. Now that almost everybody runs out of fuel, they're just not overdoing the, they're like, Oh, this will be enough. I'm like, just get wild. There's no, no anymore with a decent ECU. You could have a gigantic injector as long as it's not a shitty injector. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll, yeah, that's where people, uh, they're stuck in like the nineties with an FMU and an injector that just needs the idle <laughs> at a 10, eight. Like there's nothing else you can do about it. I had yeah. tuned a car. Uh, it had like some gigantic alcohol injectors. It was going to be a non-intercooled methanol car and it had like Moran five fifties in it or something <laughs> like that. And he just ended up doing uh pump ethanol non-intercooled. And yeah, like uh, it was a 10-2 air fuel or off <laughs> for me to do idle. And I'm like, this yeah. sucks because it's just yeah. it's filling your fu- uh, oil with fuel. Yeah. But that's, yeah, you're like 10%, 10% off. The car's off. You're like, cool. Jesus. This is cool. I mean, but it's a 550-pound injector. It was never yeah. meant to. Yeah. But yeah, I'd know. I mean, what's crazy is a 210 would probably have the resolution down there. It wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that thing pinned my dyno on like schmedium, but mine will top out at like 1500. And that thing like yawned out flat line on the dyno. <laughs> it was like a 545 inch with a twin 91 pro mods on it. Oh, damn. It was some crazy, it was some wild shit. I'm like, why'd you bring this to me? This is yeah. retarded. Wow. <laughs> nice. It only took like a, like a few hits to make over fifteen hundred. I was like, "Damn! Like I don't even know what to." We're done. Basically, you have to make passes at the yeah. track. Uh, what was I was going to ask you a good one, but this is my brain. It just goes flying out. Uh, yeah. So similarly, that uh, depends on the pumps. A lot of in tanks don't like pressure. Some of nope. the externals really don't give a shit, and they like pressure. And if you have an injector mm-hmm. and a fuel pump that really like pressure. Uh, you can go far. Like I know, uh, like a forty-three hundred three or most external pumps, 
don't give a shit about pressure and a 210 will grow to like a 360 pound injector at 100 psi mm -hmm. so yeah you can get pretty wild another good combination is to have a good intake and then an inline as a combo so the intake feeds the inline and you can usually stretch those out pretty far for power that's a good i've always heard about that and never had yeah. concrete so it's nice it works use. good that's not the question i would have asked but the answer i needed <laughs> so if you did like a 450 into a what's a popular inline like an aem or a bosch 044 clone the aem 380 yeah. inline yep yeah. yeah. what, what would you gain i know like i would say two uh two walboro 450s are one of my favorites is stacking mm -hmm. 450s because mm -hmm. at 525 the amperage draw is like double and yep. then people say it heats up the fuel when yep. you don't need it to. So 450s have less draw and less heat. But yep. I know two of those will go basically a thousand wheel depending on someone's fuel system. Obviously, like uh, I've learned a larger line and other things thought out will go farther than mm -hmm. the same pumps and something that's not as thought out. But basically a, like a thousand cc injector with pump ethanol with two 450s will basically make 900 to a thousand to the tire. Mm -hmm. so you could probably see see so that the inline pump gets boosted by the in tank pump so it'll have a, a boost and then what it's it can not suctioning it's just correct but i always wondered like if you're drawing through that 450 isn't that hindering you or it's not enough to not do it 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 acts as a low side so if you were to check the pressure coming out of the the low side, we call it a low side pump, your, your in-tank pump, and you, and, you know, against what's coming into the inlet of your So the flow pump. is through the roof because the pressure isn't there because the other Correct. one's drawing it. So the Correct. 450 is pumping just like a surge tank where you're yep. like, man, I must need three 450s to feed a three 450 surge tank when in reality yep. one is good because it's one PSI. It's flowing an incredible right. amount. Yeah, it's going to be more than that in pressure, but yeah. So you could do a yeah. thousand to the tire with a four fifty and like an O forty four clone on each. As long as it's not an actual O forty four. Like it's a it's one like an AEM one. That's like what I say. Yeah. I say yeah. the AEM is the only one I would trust anymore. Because uh, it seems like there's more clones than there are real ones yeah. after a certain year. You can get away with running a lot higher base pressures too. It with oh, an nice. inline in tank. So you can crank the base pressure up and it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, because I know those that style pump doesn't give a shit about pressure as much yeah. as the in tank. Oh, so and then you're nice. feeding it. Would you run both at the same time all the time then, or is one yes. able? Yep, that's how I was. I used to do it because you can't really yeah. push through the one without creating a massive restriction, and you can't really draw yeah. through the four fifty, right? Yep, that's a yeah. That's a that's not a bad idea because putting two. I see where people stagger the. They make like a. Uh, SpaceX rocket to do two or three of those in a row and mm -hmm. I'm like man it's so much money in fittings to just stack mm -hmm. those pumps and then have Y fittings to go in and out of each other a 450 and uh, the AEM just stacked mm -hmm. uh, yeah way easier mm -hmm. well dang that's an option for sure because some people can't fit there's some cars where you can't even put two fuel pumps in the tank yeah it's a pain in the ass if you did the when I've done it before, I usually mount the inline pump in the engine bay, closer to the rail. Ah, okay. Like those so Subaru in-tank or the Subaru 
surge tanks in the engine bay. My buddy at 1320 mm-hmm. does that all the time because he also says the saddle tank sucks mm-hmm. uh, for slosh yeah. and fitting pumps and yeah, blah, 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 blah. So yeah. he buys that uh, radium. Radium, yep. It just drops in the engine bay there where the fill and return is. and Yep. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, that's also great because a lot of people will show up uh, at my dyno with like a two, a 450 and they're just running out on something. So yep. what's neat is you could essentially cut wherever their fuel filter and shit is. You could just add yes. the AEM and then, yes. you know, probably add for at least 40% more yeah. fuel pump. Wow, yep. that's great. That's a great idea because, yeah, I tell people, I'm like, you just need two now. Whoops. Yep. So they could just stack one on the outside. That's a great solution. And add another relay, we should say to people, because you don't yes, want to. Yes, you don't want to. No. You just have to say it out loud. You have. You got to gotta put the bigger wiring in, in a relay. Yeah. Get the golf cart relay, the 80 amper, and run yeah. eight to everything. You won't have any yeah. issues. And yeah. ground it somewhere not into the sheet metal chassis. With paint. You got to get the paint off. I have learned to do that as well. That's where I bought a clamp and started to learn a lot, like, uh, you know, triple pumps drawing mm-hmm. uh, 30 amps, and then you improve the ground and they draw like 43, and you're like, damn, I had 13 to 15 amps just turning into resistance and heat mm-hmm. for no reason because I'm a jackass. <laughs> but yeah, obviously you get more out of the pumps and yeah, blah, blah, blah. What was another one? There was another good one here. Ah, shit. I have this guy who asked like 10 questions. Maybe I'll split them up. He's just started listing all of these. I've heard that, yeah, this is... I've heard the three-port will have better resolution than boost control than a four-port. Yes. What kind of resolution difference is there? Massive. I mean, that's that's something we know, but it it could be, obviously, he needs a splaining. I actually, I absolutely hate dealing with four ports. Yeah, hate it, hate it. There's no. If you're doing closed loop boost control with a four port, it is damn near impossible unless you clamp your integral gain, like the actual max limit, to something like one to two percent of the integral contribution, because that's what's going to drive your closed loop when you're at the target. It's going to keep your duty cycle and manipulate it to get you up to. Well, your P, your P is going to get you to the target. Your I is going to hold you at the target. Most of the times with the four ports, the integral, if you allow it to have a limit of more than one, 2% adjustment with a four port, that thing is going to swing all over the place. A couple percent duty cycle change will give you a couple PSI boost swing. So now your boost is swinging back and forth, going ape shit. You can't get it under control. It's near impossible to try to do it with closed loop control unless you have a standalone or a system that you can clamp your integral your max output from your integral term on your pid gain and uh it's a nightmare the only time i find that they work well is if you have a really really low wastegate spring like a three pound spring and you're trying to get a big large usable range mm-hmm. you can then usually get you can lean into the duty cycle harder and don't see that very unlinear percentage duty cycle to psi difference so it's more usable with a really low spring pressure um, with a four port, but the three ports just work. Normally what I do, if I need a large range of boost control and I have a good standalone infinity, a hall tech, a link, a Motec, whatever, I'll run two, three ports 
and I'll do a, a three port in the traditional top port control. And then I'll do a three port as a, as a bleed on the side port that'll only bring in when I want the extra boost to come in. Hmm. So you're still getting the effect of a four port controller, but with two, three ports. And when you're not energizing touchy. Oh yeah. You can, you can get it up on boost. And if you want that extra little bit, you enable the side port control and bleed out just a little bit and it's perfect. So that's what I typically try to do. I don't like like dual three ports versus four ports trash. I would say that I recommend a four port a bunch of times usually because it seems like a bunch of the combos, uh, the turbo's a little small and people choke them out faster High back than pressure. they think. So I back pressure stuff, yeah. I say this. I say to people, obviously you put like a three pounder in, you go very low, mm-hmm. and then I do. Uh, I don't do closed loop at that point with a four port. It's all raw mm-hmm. on like my dial booster vehicle mm-hmm. speed because and then it's beautiful because you can run like four to 26 pounds on half yep. of a four port but yeah right. it's i i made a video uh when terminator first came out and i tied like the map sensor into my input because terminator for some asshole reason only has dome which is stupid as mm-hmm. hell yeah uh and i showed people how to do that and then ever since then people are like i can't get this to work and i'm like yeah, I showed you how to do the feature, and then I had a car where it worked great on, but it's because it was a very it was an S four seventy five on a four eight. It's very mm-hmm. slow to respond. It's mm-hmm. easier to control, but if you have something mm-hmm. that lights, you're gonna really struggle with it unless it's raw yeah. output. Because yeah, that happens like forty one percent to forty two percent three pounds. Yeah, they're really yeah. thirty five to seventy five is a wild game. Yep. Yep. No, it's a hundred percent. And that's like the, I usually tune everything closely boost control. I mean, if I'm probably 95% of what I do is closed loop and a four port, I said like, unless you can clamp that integral term, there's a integral max limit contribution. Unless you can clamp that thing down to like one, 2%, you're never going to get it right. It's going to be oscillating everywhere. So yeah, not a fan of four port. They have their place. I like them now. High <laughs> <laughs> back I do, And for stuff yeah. like that, yeah, I mean, on a V8, a bunch of the combos have a shit hot side. And then also, because you have a V8, uh, I tell people, it's nice to be able to turn that thing down to like 375 or 400 tire, and mm-hmm. then 840 with one solenoid. And I explain, yeah. uh, doing a light spring kills your spool a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these cars, they're going to run a fairly shitty tire on a regular road. And yeah, they're like, not going to hook up. For a mile yeah. an hour, it's cool to just be able to go to like a three and change and then swing it up at like 80 miles an hour. Yeah. 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 And then my buddy Chris says I usually have to vary the hertz. And I've done that too, but some cars, like you said, are just... That Haltech car I did the other day, I did like 12 hertz to 32 hertz, and it was, did not give a shit. It was... Yeah. On closed, it was all over. So I did raw yeah. output on that. And then yeah. again, they had a two, they had a three port die before they brought it to the dyno, and they had a four port. So they said, and I said the same thing: a three port on this car would be fantastic for targeting because they have mm-hmm. a, the Haltech. It's a T fifty six car, and they set it up for all the gear ratios. So mm-hmm. then you can target an amount per gear. Yep. And obviously you want that to work. It's like an old stick shift truck. It's going to be garbage without yeah. boost by gear. Yep. 
Oh, yeah, this guy says, what about dual three ports? Well, you already talked about that. He must have missed it. Yeah, dual With three ports. pressure as the pressure reference. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Joe is saying four ports are okay situationally, but not for the guy that has an eight-pound spring that wants to run 10. Yeah, I, I guess that's what people need to hear. But I, I say that, I think, enough where I'm like, to gain the resolution, you need to have like a one-pounder. Because, yeah, yeah, if you have an eight-pound spring and you want any like a small percentage is going to be 20 some pounds yeah when you want 8 to 15 or 8 to 18 that's just not smart so, yeah yeah hopefully people hear that uh oh i think you might have answered this in your video but let's ask this when a customer rolls in for tuning what are things they can do to help for a successful tuning adventure I think your one is just bitching that dumb people do, which you could watch that and just do the polar opposite, which is probably yeah. what he's asking. Yeah. I I'm mean, if... to link that video and paste it in the chat for everybody. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it, it's like common sense goes a long way with just getting your car right. It's like just the, making sure you have a tuning cable with you in the car. I mean, yeah, I, I have tuning cables at the shop, but it's like you have it hooked up. I don't have to spend 10 minutes digging through the car to fit the cable to the ECU because it's buried under the dash or, you know, you have things like in my dyno, I've got to take off the wheels, having a lug key to take your wheels off so I can get it on the dyno or just, you know, just basic mechanical stuff and just, it's like, it's really common sense. I usually like to say, tell people, if your car can drive down the road, obviously if it's not tuned, you can't drive down the road. But I mean, in terms of like, if your car could drive down the road and make it a few miles down the road, not have a fucking shit fit and die because of the batteries no good or, you know, overheating or whatever, that's probably okay to bring to an appointment. Now, obviously if everybody can't drive their car and get it running that perfect, but it's like, you know, you can't show up with unknowns. Like you've never started the engine before. It's just not it's not going to work, you know? So there's a time and the place to sort things out. I mean, when I do like the remote tuning, I do a lot of, uh, people are like, Hey, my motor's not even started yet. Oh, I'll, we can start off. You can load a map in, do some logs. I can take a look at it and make sure that it's safe. You know, everything looks like it's in order. Then you can start to progress, drive it casually, do your mile break in, look at the logs, look, you know, check everything over, tune and adjust things as you need. It's probably the best way to go about trying to get to a dyno tune is to probably have it gone through in the, in the basic sense of going through with the tuner and logging it and making sure things are right before you show up. It's That goes a long way. Because if the car starts and runs and it's relatively sorted out, then usually it'll make it through the dyno without catastrophe. I yeah. pasted the rant video. The real cost of modifying your car. Oh. <laughs> I thought there was another one, but that might be the one. I thought there was. I one don't know. There's like, a couple. Yeah, they could just look then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for people that have never tuned, how do you know if you're getting detonation without knock sensors? Mm. I mean, I would say uh, I don't rely on them much. Most of the cars don't even have them. Uh, you will, I will see, you know, uh, diminishing returns. And then after that, like probably pumping loss. And then after that enough knock to sound like 
uh, nails in a paint can. That's yeah, my when favorite. You hear, when you when you hear that, it's it's bad. You're it's way too bad. <laughs> <clears throat> it's tough to if you don't have a dyno. The best thing you can do is buy a knock device that you can fit a knock sensor to the block, like a tuner nerd or <clears throat> there's a um, Oh, there's a bunch of other ones. I use the Tuner Nerd because it's relatively cheap. It's a couple hundred bucks. It, it allows you to actually know what's going on. You can read spark plugs, but it's really not practical to do that. Trying to, you know, if you're trying to sort out a car, like road mapping it, you're not going to be able to pull over every time, get it full throttle, check the spark plugs. It's just not practical. You know, for how cheap a knock monitor device is, 250, 300 bucks with an ox sensor comes with it, like, and, and a set of headphones, you can hear it and see what's going on. It's just, it's, it's worth it from my opinion. But, you know, if, I mean, you, you know, and I know I could probably dial a, a motor in without an ox sensor because we've done it so many, especially if you're doing the same combination. But if you can think of you're starting off with an engine, you have no idea what the knock tolerance is on it. Yeah. You know, you're like, well, what the fuck timing can I even get away with? You can sit there and, and dick with it on the dyno, but if you don't have a dyno, it's like, where do you start? Yeah, I would say to people, like, if it's a Turbo LS car, you could take, uh, like, one of my tables, make it more conservative, and use, like, a draggy and go till mm. your acceleration stops accelerating and then pull it back. Because it's the same as, like, track tuning. For most of these cars, I don't think they're, like, a mid-eight-second car uh, yeah. on the road. I might be totally wrong, but... I'd say like that's the best metric you could get if you have nothing and no other option because that'll show you. I know they're extremely accurate. Uh, I've been to like the my buddy runs World Cup, uh, GTR World Cup now DCT World Cup, and those guys have them in the car and it's like almost exactly what the scoreboard is. And sometimes it's mm -hmm. a little different because the scoreboard averages your mile an hour between the end, like a hundred feet or whatever that is, mm -hmm. two hundred feet. Well, yeah. the GPS is your actual top speed. So your mile an hour is more accurate on the draggy, in my opinion, because it's not getting an average number. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you could do that and do, like, your 60 to 130. Just don't post them on YouTube or you'll get <laughs> fines like that guy the other day. Oh, boy. They're busting everybody's ass. Did you hear about that? No. He posts, like, draggy times all the time, and they they, like, gave him a whole bunch of convictions and citations and i think they're you know they're trying to go hard on him because people are honestly like you can't be posting that shit all the time you're literally breaking the law you can't, you can't say in mexico when there's pennsylvania road signs and, traffic oh, yeah. <laughs> and a guy asking for money like you're just not in mexico oh, jesus yeah so and then those people are surprised they're like i can't believe this has happened it's like smoking crack and posting youtube videos <laughs> anyway i don't know accountability just doesn't fucking exist Jesus. anymore uh where even was i oh yeah so yeah i would say like a draggy or find someone with a dyno or something yeah this is a good one this guy paid also but it's also a good question so if they pay and they want to know something retarded we still go over it because <laughs> if you paid money like you're definitely gonna i appreciate they don't have to at all but it's funny. Uh, LS engines, pros and cons and tunability of drive-by-wire versus drive-by-cable on Holly or OEM ECUs. 
I love Wire. That's all I have to say. I, not on the stock like... ACU, I'm not as good. I don't like it because there's too many. Like you are obviously better because you're used to like the torque based ECU, but I love the Holly thing because you're just like do what I want and it does. Yep, yep. I think the problem with the factory ECU, um, you're you can't touch a lot of the drive by wire tables to to shape the mapping, or you'll piss off the tack module and the car goes into rep the reduced power mode, and then it it's fucked off until you return the ship back to stock. It's just. Yeah. It's annoying. Too many checks can, and balances on that system. You can, you can. So if it's like a Gen Four drive-by-wire, you can manipulate the virtual torque tables to drive an influence drive-by-wire response. So you can indirectly. So if it's a stick car, not an auto car, because you'll piss off the torque. You know, the yeah. torque tables and the auto shifting. The is going to flare like a bitch. Yeah, it's going to go nuts. <laughs> but if you, but if you're a stick car. You can mess with the torque tables to, to, to change that mapping without influencing the actual drive-by wire tables that will put it into rep mode. Um, I don't. I would personally always choose drive-by wire on a standalone whenever possible. It, it It's so nice. The idle control, easy. Like, it starts up so much nicer having that just easy, even fixed throttle blade as opposed to a stupid stepper motor, idle control motor that is bullshit. I mean... I don't know. I personally drive by drive by wire for sure. Yeah, I think it surprises people when I say it a lot. Because what's funny is too, like, I laugh because about it because people don't want it because they're like scared of it. And then yeah. I'm like, well, how many drive by wire cars do you own? If you own anything newer than like 2010, yeah. And then I'm like, how many of those cars have had the throttle stick? Yeah, it doesn't zero. Yeah. And then yeah. I go, well, how many? cable throttle cars have you had or built that had the throttle stick a lot of them yeah, okay yeah, yeah. uh where is your argument and then yeah, yeah like i had a i had a g35 with an ls and a holly drive-by wire all of that stuff and it had a lsa on top pulleyed to critical mass and <laughs> uh it had it was so it was stick shift in a cd09 it was very stabby obviously it would make mm-hmm. like 17 pounds on a whiff. So putting an exponential curve in there made it drive like my Kia. Yep. Yep. And I think people, uh, they don't realize that. And then also, mm-hmm. if you have a giant throttle, the IAC motor becomes almost useless in some instances. Yep. So you have, yep. you have good hot idle or good cold start and not the others. But then obviously a wire has a gigantic, it'll do whatever the hell you want. So, yep. and then... I always, again, I think I I missed this on my first wrap around. People have a beautiful engine bay, beautiful intake manifold, the ugliest fucking cable and cam <laughs> in the world. Like they will come out of their windshield and come down into this bracket <laughs> on a Holly High Ram that's color matched to the whole car. And it looks like dog shit, but yeah. they won't do a wire that just clip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what's cool is when I convince people to do wire, and like you remote on to a holly, you're like, you set the stop at like 15%, fire the car, it's idling high. And you're like, ding, 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 ding. Yep. And like, you can just all of the idle stuff without going and whacking stuff with a screwdriver and bending the throttle stop because yep. the, the torque three bit is fucking destroyed on yep. all of those. Yeah. They're always like, yep. I can't turn the screw. And I'm like, oh, here. And I push it open and shove channel locks in and just. 
bend the yeah. tab. They're like, you can do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want. This is America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drive by wire for sure. I mean, on the import stuff, like that's not drive by wire. It's cable. Switch it over. I, I hate dealing with stepper motors. Like they're fucking garbage. Yeah. Why? And Just people. I don't think people realize it until you show them. And then there's yeah. always that argument where they're like, a cable's just fast. And I love that a guy did a video, I think it was Haltech or similar, and he shows like the opening rate versus a cable yanking. Yeah. Ver- it's yeah. way faster than human oh, yeah, it's possible faster. on it. I don't know how you could think it's not. Yeah. That's a, like carburetor guys that just won't admit defeat. And I think yeah. a lot of people's experience, obviously, uh, I explain all this, their experience with drive-by-wire is their 2011 pickup that doesn't go over 20% throttle until yeah. 3,000 RPM for yeah. uh, keeping abuse down for, like, yep. uh, you know, burnouts and dumb shit. It keeps their warranty claims, you know, way down with you people not doing that. So yep. they're like, this sucks, and I can feel it. Well, no shit, it's not giving you throttle. Of course you can feel it, but you, I don't know. Yeah, it's... Yep. I'm pissing into the wind here for people that don't want to. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, I'm getting down to my pre, pre, uh, ask questions here. So if you guys want to start asking, I just drill the butterfly. Well, yeah, sometimes you have to put some asshole numbers into some cars. Sometimes you have to drill it. Like I know, yeah. Uh, Chris and I were talking about some of those Gen 3 cars. People always talk shit on drilling them. I'm like, you know, it fucking works sometimes. You could put some asshole numbers in the airflow or the running airflow. Or yeah. You, but why? You could just drill a hole, too. Like, yep. instead yep. of giving and get it back in line. Asshole numbers. And then, like Chris yeah. says, some of those uh, F-body style cars that you can't get the TPS below or above a certain amount. Yeah, I think it's like 83 at 0.7 or 0.83 volts something like that like yeah, yeah it, it won't go into it, it won't relearn the idle and then it yeah it'll yep. always show a percentage above zero and you it's yep. fucked like yep, yep. Yeah, yep. If you drill a hole it doesn't do that uh, yeah nope. i think you know early on i would just drill a hole because that's what people mm-hmm. will tell you to do and that's what i learned they're like mm-hmm. oh if you put ls1 tech had a chart like if you put this cam in use this drill bit because then it would use mm-hmm. all the stock tables with increased airflow physically Makes sense yep yep and it just i'm like people people used fmus for a long time too guys it's okay to brutalize something <laughs> Whatever. i've had the i've had the opposite where i was trying to dial a car in that had the blade drilled and it was just way too much and we couldn't turn it down enough mm-hmm. like and I, I what couldn't... you do is you drill it out big enough to smack a pop rivet in it i've done it Oh, that's true. I didn't think you about that. You just knock yeah. a pop rivet in it and start drilling yeah. more holes. And if you fuck up, yeah. you put another pop rivet. <laughs> there you go. They don't go anywhere. People are scared about a pop rivet, but they'll have Chinese screws that are completely loose yeah. in their 92 millimeter drive-by cable yeah. on their Holly High Ram. Yeah. <laughs> What's your opinion on water methanol? No E85 in my area. Water meth works well. And it depends on... Depends on the kit. Depends how you're implementing it. It depends on a lot of factors, where the nozzle is, um, what your water meth blend is going to be. I'm a fan of it. As long as the kit that you use has a fail-safe strategy that you can tie into a standalone so you can cut power output or implement a rev limiter in case you get a low-level condition or some other fault you know, in the system, um, 
I, I like water math. You can definitely get away with a large, a large margin and boost in timing. Um, it's not as good as ethanol, but it's definitely pretty substantial difference in power output on pump gas. The only thing that I can say long-term that I've seen is distribution through an intake manifold. You do get uneven wear over 30, 40, 50,000 miles. If you tear a motor down and look at the actual bores and pistons, you will see a definite wear difference on an engine that lives on water math. Um, you know, it's the nature of it, just the distribution through the intake manifold. Engine Masters did an episode on that, showing how wildly different the mm-hmm. uh, cylinder is too. But yeah, I have most of my early combos were like 18 pounds of boost with windshield washer fluid hooked up to the mm-hmm. stock uh, thing. Because you could then it says low washer fluid. And you're like, oh, and I'd put in the blue shit. And then later mm-hmm. on, we started doing what I call Prestone piss water. It's the yellow Prestone stuff that... Uh, and people are always like, well, what do I know as the higher alcohol content? And I go, put it in your mouth. <laughs> if it burns like Listerine, it's high. If it doesn't, it's not. Put it in your mouth. Yeah, I'm like, you can, check the, you can check the label. Maybe they <laughs> A lot of times it it's not very accurate. Or you, no, that's true. It, 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 they're, I don't know. I'm like, just, you've put worse things in your mouth, dude. Just fucking take a <laughs> swish of that. And if it burns your mouth, it's high alcohol. Oh boy. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have too simple of a solution for people sometimes. Uh, well, people are asking, like, because popular people are commenting, Alki, Alki Control, I would say. This says Alki Kit Snow or AEM. Well, there's also Alki Control, but. Um, I use the uh, Aquamist and the AEM. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't looked at a lot of the other brands. A lot I of just know that they have knob switches. Yeah, the big thing for me is going to be the fail-safe strategy. That's the, that's the biggest thing with a kit. As long as it has an output that you can tie to an engine management or tie it to like a relay to turn off a boost solenoid, for example, as long as you have that in the system, it's re- and it's progressive, you don't want to just on-off because that just fucking, you turn it on and it's just too rich for a second. You turn it off and it's just too rich for you know a split second. The progressives are way better in terms of... Uh, having more consistent air fuel delivery. The best way to control it is to just integrate it into the standalone, use a solid state relay, directly drive the actual pump itself, um, use a tank that has a level sensor, integrate that into the standalone, build a, a revelimentary strategy around that in case it triggers. Um, so you're controlling everything through the standalone and being able to, you know, essentially ramp the duty cycle up and to, to have the Alki spray come in and, you know, that's, that's the best way to do it. But standalone has to have the ability to have a lot of inputs, outputs tied into a, a single strategy to work together. Yeah. So. Let it fly. Get the bullshit kit with a hob switch. Let it, <laughs> let it eat on that washer blue. I did that for years. Yeah, it works. Simple works. Yeah. Yeah. Just tune it fat and spray that bitch on top of it. If it doesn't work, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> I don't know. I guess people are just awful with wiring, and I just don't have those issues. Even when I would do it and it would look ugly, mm. uh, it was always functional. So mm. I never had issues where shit doesn't work. Uh, I don't know what it is. but Because like, mm. uh, a lot of my friends are like, oh, this car is a nitrous kit. 99% of them don't work. And I can I can understand that like nobody wires anything right, but I'm like, uh, 
it's easy. It's so easy to use, and I've never had it yeah. not work. So, you know, arming switch and relay. Yeah, like yeah, that's the stuff I've learned about is like a automatic car with a big wet kit and a big converter and just a micro yeah. switch on the throttle. Like, dink. Oh, even easier. Yeah, yeah. Dink. Yeah, like you could just run mm -hmm. the hot, and you didn't even need a relay if you didn't mm -hmm. want to because those are high voltage and current switches. Yep. 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 So like, it would just turn on. Mm-hmm. What's this? There are three people on this planet that are willing to put that much work into anything. He's talking about your water meth kit, my buddy Joe from Tempest. <laughs> Weed spray or tape to the intake pipe. <laughs> I've also heard of my Mustang friend who's been doing Mustang shit for a long time. He said there was a kit where it would just take boost pressure and fill a sealed container. So it would one-to-one. -one. The boost would just push the meth out. Huh. I'm like, damn, that's simple. Holy shit. That's, that's super simple. simple. I'm like, wow. So it just, I was, he was telling me about it and I wasn't getting how simple it actually was. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Makes no, sense. it would just, he's like, Bloop. and I'm like, really? I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, or is that real? He's like, no, that's what we did for a long time. Huh. Oh, he's, this guy's saying, uh, Nismo Freak is asking, there's one I want to ask and then I'll go back to his. Because uh, I like learning about Max ECU. Uh, Chris here goes, what's your opinion on Max ECU race for an 800, you know, all-wheel horsepower four-cylinder? I'm weighing my options, and it seems to be the best value for money in regards to advanced controls. Are there any other alternatives? Uh, Link G4X, like an ex like Extreme or a Fury box. Um, Price-wise, they're probably comparable. Um, another really good ECU is Mtron, not very popular here in the States. Mtron is equivalent of a MoTeC M1, it's super configurable, like uh, OEM level calibrating if you want to do it, torque-based modeling, airflow-based modeling. It depends how, like, it just depends what you want to do. They all will function, cap you know, capability-wise of what they can actually do. They're pretty similar. Max is a great ECU. Um, the only issue with Max is that their customer support is awful. It's awful. If you have a question, good luck. Um, they do get back to you. It's just painstakingly slow. And uh, there's that language barrier with them too as well. But is, their stuff uh, works. Swedish? I believe that is. They're Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere up and over there. Yeah. they're they're. Um, I've had some some sorting out issues with a k-series car on max and it was it was painstakingly slow to try to work through it with them um you know but they're uh they're, the, the functionality of the software is great and what it can do is it works you know um i've used max on plenty of stuff and it you know for the price it's definitely it's definitely good but you do have other alternatives you know my go-to is the link stuff i usually just that's that's usually what i yeah, that's interesting that you like that. I'm going to have to look into it since you like it. There's got to be reasons. Well, like all, everything you mentioned earlier, if they if they miss that, you you know, at some point we talked about how much you love uh, Link for the economics and functionality for... The hardware is badass, too. Hmm. The stuff just works. Like, it, there's almost never any QC problems with their stuff. 
someone had mentioned that earlier in the chat that, that they've done like a million link things and no one's ever had a damn issue. No, no, which is nice. Any anytime I've ever had a problem, it's always been the harness of the car. You know, it's always been something not the link. So and Mismo Freak is asking uh, PID control for dummies. If that can be something easily explained, I know it can be as hard or as easy as you want it to be. It depends on what you're controlling, but I mean, in general, proportional drives you to the target. Derivative is going to keep your your proportional drive to the target under control. It's going to act as a stop or a brake coming up to the target. So your proportional drives you there quickly. The derivative is going to be limiting you, depending how you tune it, to the target. And then integral is going to what holds you at the target. Now, they all work in conjunction with each other at at any given time. Um, But in general, if you're talking about boost control, proportional integral is all you need to make it work. If you're talking about um, drive-by-wire control, traditionally, it's going to be integral derivative to make that work. There is proportional that you use. It just depends on what you're trying to do. If you have something that's a fast rate of change in movement, um, so if you're implementing spark timing for uh, for idle control, you'll be using proportional derivative together. Proportional speeds the, the timing correction up to the target, getting you to your, your, your idle error target. And then the derivative is going to hold you and try to keep you from overshooting that target. So it, it kind of depends on what your trying to control um so boost 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 control it's usually proportional integral um you know but the proportional drives you to the target integral holds you at the target derivative acts as your break and 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 not letting you overshoot the target simplest way to probably describe it yeah i've always uh that's interesting that it's well like you said it's situational i've always done uh because you could do it in every direction. Like uh, I've heard it explained, and I've done it a bunch of times, where you just type in a P number until it comes up to like your target boost. So say you want ten, it'll go fifteen five, fifteen five, and then yeah, you hit you hit saturation. Yeah, and yeah. There's a in, well, then you would put in like you want to get there, but not oscillate it too much. Or it depends, yeah. right? Like if you want it to chase a target fast, but then you move your integral to get that loop smaller and then the d is the dampener for that yep. but like yep. you were saying some other stuff you only need two of those three and that makes sense too yep the best way to tune it is if you have no idea what the circuit you're trying to control for like boost control for example um you bring your p p term up with your integral and derivative zeroed out and you do that until you get oscillation then you back your p value down you basically reach a saturation point and then you start bumping your eye up and then you do that until you get oscillation in your signal. You bring that down. That's your saturation point. And typically you can make most anything work with just proportional integral, but you drive it up to the saturation and you bring it down about 10, 20%. And then that will actually make it stable and control in that, that routine. Hmm. So that's just a really basic way to do it. That's what I've always done. I, I know enough that I've messed with them so much that I throw numbers at it. It's hard mm-hmm. to explain to people exactly what it is, but at this point, I'm like, oh, it's slow to target. I just start smashing some, and, you know, I can tell right away. Uh, it's yep. confusing to try to explain it to people, 
But after yeah. you've done it a bunch, you don't even do that usually. You're like, oh, a tiny bit of oscillation. Or... Yeah. 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 Oh, someone has a good one. Uh, this is like something I've been messing with uh, recently. Do you ever pulse with fuel pumps, like a big external yes. or something? Yes, with a solid state, yep. What are, um, what's your go-to solid state? That's my question. Depends what I'm trying to control. A big-ass um, fuel pump, like a 4303. That's going to take, um, there's an 80 amper solid state. I can't remember the part number that I've used. It's not a particular brand. I'd have to dig up the, what the, you know, if you're going to buy it from somebody, it would be like labeled under Honeywell. someone's part number. Yeah. 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 Um, I know a lot of parts that are fancy as shit and labeled somewhere like a whole yes. tech it's 150 and yes. you can find it on somewhere it's a honeywell switch for 17 dollars for yes hvac yes. or something yeah yeah no it, it, it literally is that i can't remember but it's an 80 amper and uh That'd be nice yeah and you can do it i can't remember the continuous specs on it but it's it's legit and it works um have to but email yeah it to me or something if you dig it up Something. Yeah, I gotta look through my my notes. I'm sure I have it. Someone uh, says here that they use like a Mitsubishi. You know, I'm nervous about a lot of that PWM stuff is slow. It has built in softener, like you can mm-hmm. uh, smack it with ninety percent, and it still takes twenty percent to swing twenty seconds mm-hmm. to bring the fan from. And I'm like, if you're if you have a fuel pump and it needs to bring fuel in, you don't want twenty seconds to. No, it has to be consistent. So if, if I'm trying to control like a fan um, or something else that's solid state driven, Holly actually has a good, uh, they have a, a nitrous one, a yes. solid state. I was going to say that's probably, that's, that's what uh, I use. Devin likes that too. Devin Vanderhoof, he does a lot of car wiring and he's like, I don't really trust any of them because this one yep. works, doesn't melt anything, yes. blah, yes. blah, blah. I've even used that one for fuel pump control. For, for like in-tank stuff. So and it the works. Continental controller is an OEM fuel pump controller for brushed pumps. MSD makes the dual channel thing. Oh, interesting. I have that MSD brick. I always wanted to try it on my friend's car. It's a, Is it like the four, is it four of them? Yeah, they yeah. sent it to me and I've used it for a bunch of things. I've even used it on like fans, but you get mm-hmm. a bunch of coil whine on a lot of things, even changing the frequency a lot. And someone hmm. told me it's because the Holly caps at a thousand hertz. Mm-hmm. If you could run like eight thousand or ten thousand, it mm-hmm. wouldn't whine. But if you can get over the whine, it did work fine for me. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to try it with like a forty three oh three and see how well uh, mm-hmm. it would do. But now uh, I got a pump from Magnafuel that has a PWM controller built in. There's three studs on the pump. Yep. So I'm going to try that in my next, my Fairmont. So that's cool. It's just built in. And you just smack yep. it with a PWM wire. I'm like, well, that's way better than that. I tried using Hella relays to PWM a bunch of 450s and my mm-hmm. latest Mustang project. And it did not like that. No, they don't like it. Yep. So it has to be a certain, like a, one of those big pumps, in my opinion. Yeah. It would be okay with that. Do you ever run into what's a pump that you've done like a forty three oh three? I would say that's most of the people I know that are wanting to pulse 
is they have a 4303 and they just don't want it screaming and boiling fuel all the time. Mm -hmm. So have you done one of those and have you used a particular thing? Because I, I, I bet below a certain percent, just like boost controllers and everything else, it just isn't running enough to flow correctly, like 30%. The the pumps that I usually control are in tank stuff with with a with a pulse with modulated solid state relay. Um, I haven't done any like the big pump stuff, and if I have done a, if if it has been a big pump, it's been uh, paired with a controller, like an aftermarket controller that's meant to do it. Right, and then you can drive through the controller. So yeah, I don't have any. Uh, I wonder any, how many any. amps the nitrous, the NOS solid state Holly relay. I think it does 30 or 40 amps continuous. Well, that's not bad for a pump. A lot of those pumps don't really. That's why if, if you do a single pump, but one relay per pump, you're good. Yeah. yeah. Man, they Holly charges $115 for it. It used to be half that price. It used to be like 75 when I look, yeah. look it up. Yep. Yeah, geez. I bet that's just a, you know, a part you could probably find somewhere, but. Yeah, that's I haven't good. been able to find it. Yeah, forty amp maximum current draw, mm -hmm. which is kind of nice because you uh, more than likely uh, you're never sitting at forty amps for a long time, no. even if you are. So yeah. even if you are running like forty five through this bitch, you know it's going to be faster than an eight second car. So you're mm -hmm. not really going to be unless you're land speed racing. You don't really have to worry about. It. Yeah. I always wanted to try one of those $10 China ones with the giant heat sink on it just to see if oh, it would last. <laughs> I know they get hot. We use them for bumping in like uh, trans brakes and they trans work break, amazing. Yeah. But I bet if you hook that up, I mean, they say 40 amp, but I bet that thing will melt at 10 amps. It's probably, yeah, continuous. It's not going to, that's not no. going to do it. No, spike 40. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't care to run the brake and bump in because you're not really not yeah. using it for any time by the time yep. that solenoid would burn up your tranny is toast yep from sitting on it but yeah uh do you guys pair a flyback diode with your solid state relays for a fuel pump specifically yes. brushed yes it should have one i would say most of the relays have it built in am i dumb um... some of those relays have uh one ways built in at least that's what uh it depends on the manufacturer but uh i believe my my wiring guys have said that some a relay is supposed the, to have a one way thing i think it. the holly does have it i think that that the one from holly has it it, it won't go back feed yeah as far as yeah. i know just like they said uh the chinese relays don't really have it but a decent yeah. brand name relay that's why, because I said, what's the significance between like the 30 pole and the output pole? I've swapped them and nothing happens. And he's like, well, if it's not a shit relay, it won't do that. Right. And I'm like, oh, right. okay. Yeah. Well, all, are you saying all my relays are shit? <laughs> Everything PWM should have flyback in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, you guys are fancy. I'm just going to touch them together. All right. Um been listening to all these oh this is a good one if you had a drag car with only a terminator x with its four in and four out 
What sensors and outputs would you say is a must? Excluding the essentials, <laughs> map, CPS, air temp, coolant temp. Well, no, it's just because, no, no, uh, all of that, yes, but the Terminator has uh, user assignable four in and four out. Yeah, four, so four additionals. Yeah, so he's just saying, you know, the car is running and everything, but I have a Terminator, so what should I do? For four inputs and four outputs. For fuel pressure, oil pressure. Fuel, fuel pressure, oil pressure. Well, those are freebies. Are the they? Oh, they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you right. basically have six. I mean, you have, yeah. So this is four and four on the Terminator. Is it turbo? Oh, uh, I would assume. Does he say that? He doesn't say. Obviously, that. Ch- well, say both then, because obviously you'd probably want a boost controller. Yep, boost controller for sure. Yeah, um, it depends how fancy you want to get and what you're what you're trying to to log. I mean, it's turbo. You could do a turbo speed sensor, um, exhaust manifold pressure. That's typically the two that I like to always keep an eye on because you can tell what's actually going on with the turbo if you're over spinning it, or if you're getting to the you know, inefficiency with the with the turbo. Um, man. There's so many additional sensors you could run. Coolant yeah. pressure. You're in a I funny mean, spot because you're used to having way more than four and four, right? Yeah. Yeah. I usually we're logging like an extra 10, 20. So yeah. we put a sensor on everything if possible. Yeah, that covers um, it. I always say to people, like if it's a classically what I do is stock bottom end LS drag car. So I And I always like doing flex because it's in my area. So uh, I like yeah, to do... Flex, yeah. Yeah, flex, and then if it's a stock bottom end car, it's cool to have coolant pressure because you can see when you're running into a problem, yep. and then like a back pressure usually, and then you decide what you want to do uh, for your other one. But I would say increasingly uh, coolant pressure and back pressure mm-hmm. are nice to look at because you can be like, why is this happening? Oh, I'm two to one on yep. my boost and EMAP. Okay, well, yep. that, then you don't have to guess like what's happening. Yep. I would say turbo speed sensor is way out of most people that are using that because it's like 175 bucks for a turbo speed sensor. But uh, one thing that's cool is my buddy Cameron with that Crown Vic, he has twins and he did twin speed sensors, you know, twin O2 sensors, twin speed mm-hmm. sensors. It's really cool to see like the turbos are within 200 RPM of each other at times and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is cool to look at. <laughs> I usually like to look at uh, compressor mapping. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you're going to either know where the, the turbo will fail, like Borg Warner turbos, they'll tell you don't overspin past 120,000 RPM or you'll get failure. So you can, you know, you're keeping an eye on that. And then you can also go to a compressor map, knowing manifold pressure, knowing your barrel pressure, knowing your speed, you can actually look up what the turbo is flowing. Are you in the right efficiency the range? Right. What's your EMAP doing? Are we getting, you know, is it the EMAP rising because the turbine compressor is having a, it, it, you know, mismatch issue? Is it actual exhaust pressure picking up from, you know, exhaust side, you know, choking or, you know. Who has a good can IO module? Well, that's depending on the, if you have a, fuel tech or a hall tech you have 75 can modules i always laugh yeah. about that my buddy that does wiring he does like a hall tech car 
Yeah. And it's a hall tech, and then it's like a an array of boxes, like two wideband things, a sensor I/O box, a whatever box, yeah. like six boxes. And then he does a dominator car, and it's just a, a dominator. Yeah, it makes it easy. Oh, Cameron said he was at eighty-one thousand RPM maximum so far, at like twenty-six pounds. <laughs> so the the next thing would be, depending on the turbo manufacturer, if you have a compressor map, some of them you can't get, like precision stuff. Yeah, well, that's you, what you, I was going to say uh, when you were bringing up like uh, a map, and I'm like, man. It depends who you get. Yeah, Garrett, Garrett, um, Borg Warner. You can get, you know, you can get maps. I've heard the same thing. Like when uh, that Yaris GR came out, and immediately Motec made a. I don't know what happened there. Someone made that happen, but Yaris GR comes out, and they have Motec plug and play already. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, okay, because they were tuning it, and I'm like, wow, they figured that out fast. And the Australian guys were like, yeah, it has a m1 on it that's plug and play and i'm like that seems sudden and strange for a toyota yaris some somebody somebody probably um involved with motec can't we're gonna do development anyway so they they probably were ahead of it it's probably the same similar cam programming from another car i'm sure and they probably probably had a lot of that data because that's the only way it would happen and then they had like speed sensors and everything, and they're like, "Yeah, we're just running. We're making just enough power to keep it under terminal and oh, set safeties on it." And yeah, yeah, they they were looking at all that, and I'm like, "You have turbine, turbo speed sensor on a Toyota Yaris." <laughs> it was just blowing my. I'm like, first of all, a Motec. Second of all, turbo speed sensors. But yeah, they were doing so much development that all yeah. of that was important. So yeah. it just makes me laugh. Like. It's like someone bringing you a B series car that has a turbo speed sensor. I've done it. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, why? But like an S, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, you've done everything, so it wouldn't surprise. Yeah. That's why people are like, "What's your favorite or weird, whatever?" And you're like, "It's all weird and it's all cool." Yeah. Can you explain what happened yesterday, or is that a thing you don't want to oh, say? Oh fuck my life! <laughs> yesterday was a disaster. Uh, first guy shows up 45 minutes late. I had four cars yesterday. So first guy shows up 45 minutes late. Is a drift car. I go to put the car on the dyno on the main line, and it has the, the hub the hub adapters that you have to bolt on. He has a staging brake set up for a drift car. So he has his normal caliper, and then he has his handbrake caliper to get it to slide. Well, those calipers hit the adapter for the main line, so we had to take all the back brakes apart. So he's already late. Then he's fucking around with the back brakes trying to take them apart, so we get on the dyno. Then we get on the dyno, and... We tune it, whatever, and it, it went fairly smooth. It wasn't, I've already tuned the car. It was like a retune to check everything, refresh the motor. I'm already like 30, 40 minutes late to the next car. I get on it. The next car is a Type R, a newer Type R, and there's a flex fuel kit on it. And I tuned the car, I think, a year and a half ago, and when it was just pump gas. And you have to update the calibration file when you do a firmware update with the Honda. And for whatever reason, the Honda decided to go in and uh, it has all kinds of limiters um, for the commanded turbo pressure. So there's ones, there's there's tables based on uh, barrel pressure and temperature. For whatever reason, those were raised up. I, I had tuned it. It was making the boost I wanted on the bigger turbo and everything was good. And uh, the 
when it did the firmware update, uh, those two tables went back to stock values. So now I can't get the command to boost that I had last year, you know, or the year before when I tuned it. I'm sitting or doing pool after pool. The ECUs are Bosch ECUs in those newer Hondas. They take eight, 10 minutes to flash each time. So I'm sitting there trying to troubleshoot this problem where a file that I knew worked doesn't work before we even did the flex fuel as I, I pissed away like two hours trying to, 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 to jet, to, to deal with this. And I finally get the car, whatever mapped out. It was late. I started on the next car late. It was a twin turbo G35 on uprev. And uh, the car was tuned at some point, like 10 years ago, car is drivable. Everything's fine with it. Um, I asked the guy, I'm like, okay, what math sensor do you have? Because you can swap the math sensors. The stock ones only go to about 300 horsepower. And uh, what injectors? I don't know what math sensor. I don't know the injectors. I'm like, dude, come on. Well, with Uprev, you can't read the original file that was tuned on. You can only start off with a base. I download with the way Uprev works. You have to download from the base directory. You look up their ROM code. You go online. You download it. You start off that as your base. So you're starting off with a stock file every time. And then you have to put all your variables in there, injector, math scaling, all that. I set the file up, guessing at the injector data. He thinks he had 600s, but they could be 900 CC or thousands. He has no idea. He doesn't know, but he thinks he has a different math sensor, like an aftermarket one. I'm like, dude, you're fucking killing me. So I work it out so I get the car to run. But the starting was weird. And the power was just being weird and inconsistent on the dyno. And I thought everything was good with it. And, uh, we, you know, it made similar power to what it made when it was tuned before. Um, so uh, he leaves. I'm on the next car. That car didn't have a working map sensor or TPS sensor. And we had to find the sensor ground wasn't hooked up to the map sensor and the car's harness, custom harness. It's already now like 7 o'clock. Like I'm already like over. Like I started at like eight something in the morning. I was there at the shop at eight something in the morning. Next thing you know, that I'm tuning, finishing this guy's uh, this guy's Supra. The G35 comes back. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, car runs like shit. I'm like, all right, let's try to figure it out. And I'm trying to, and I'm thinking it's one thing. We're like flashing and trying to fix it, and. uh, Long story short, it was a corrupted ROM. Mm-hmm. So the ROM file that I had from Uprev on the directory was bad. And no matter what, it was... From the manufacturer. So it's like 8.30 at night and I'm putting the car back on the dyno. And I will you know, I don't ever stay that late. I was there to like 10 o'clock. I had to remap the whole car again. And starting off with a new file, it tuned fine. Like it would start normal. It would make the power and spool up normal. Like there was all this shit... It was it was doing properly the you know the second time around is all based on a bad ROM. I chased my tail in it. I it was awful. It was awful. Like it's basically tuning the car twice in the same day. Like I, I was like nasty. I was like, did I piss Jeff off? What you know? No, 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 no. And no. then you were like, I had a fucking nightmare day. I didn't even. Dude, I was I was not happy. So yeah, yeah no kidding. Well, we're at. It's eleven thirty. We're already at four hours. Uh, oh wow! Is okay. it your bed? Questions are slowing down. People are it's dropping what... out because it's eleven thirty. Yeah. So uh, I've never put myself under that many pressure to do that many cars in a day. 
I give myself a week to make sure a car is good. Oh, boy. This is Joe Simpson says, this is exactly why I quit scheduling more than one car a day. I usually am good. I haven't had this happen, like, ever. Usually I'm good, but that bit me in the ass yesterday. I can usually really iron out two cars in eight hours, at least what it's worth for. And uh... it's a it depends like so so like what you're doing is there's a lot more um kind of going back and forth into troubleshooting if i'm doing four or five cars a day i've either set them up remotely it can't be troubleshooting yeah no fuck no these cars run like so they'll they'll be remotely sorted out before they show up or it's like the easy stuff where it's like a flash tune for a bolt-on na car like you know i mean you can hour and a half you know it's i know how long it takes me to do it it's like so. Yeah, if it starts, uh, it's pretty much agreed that it's going to be like a four-hour thing. And if it's mm. more than that, we just have to, it's like a homework assignment. You can tell right away if something's going to be yep. good or bad. But every now and then I get one that's like, it does well, and then it doesn't do well. And then you fix mm-hmm. something and it starts to, so you want to finish it. You don't want to be like, well, you're fucked, or you have to mm-hmm. come again. But uh, so you try to, but yeah, I would say uh a lot of my appointments uh you know we can get we can get through a lot but some of it's homework it's like the first time someone built a car that's what Mm. i am i'm like the gateway drug right (laughs) people have to have their cocaine in order to get to you but people don't know what they want to snort when they come to me so (laughs) so i'll be like this is a little bit wrong whatever but we can make 550 and you can drive it for a year and your engine was 200 dollars. who who gives a shit what is this he says you explain my week monday through friday (laughs) yeah like my buddy hunter says all my customers are newbies yeah that's i don't mind doing that a lot of my friends are kind of snobs where they're like everything has to be right and i get it like their time is worth money or they have a shop or uh we talk about that too in the radio shows because i'll do shit and people are like why can't a shop do that i'm like they can't you know we try to explain it that you cannot do that and it's nah. a hobby for me, and I don't mind. Uh, it's pretty much understood from my videos that, like, you know, I'm just uh, I'm not a professional at all, but I can get you rolling. I do a decent yeah. job, in my opinion. But, but yeah, blah blah blah. So I don't. I like giving people like a whole list of stuff to do because a lot of them can't get mad at the at these people because that's the car's done and they know nothing else, and they're like, well, I don't even yeah. know if it does run because. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody says you really know your stuff. My buddy Cameron says, Jesus Christ, you do tune everything because you're talking about <laughs> all these flash things and up revs. And, oh, boy. Yeah. It's tough to all have in your brain. That's for sure. That's why yes. I stopped doing. I'll do some stuff for fun. Like if I know the person or they're a friend of a friend. Like mm. this year I did uh, a bunch of ECU. Mat- I started doing like a bunch of VR6 cars. Mm turbo vrs and like mm-hmm. ecu master plug and play i tuned mm-hmm. a early this year i did a r32 with a rb25 mm-hmm. on an ecu master i was like oh this isn't i kind of like that because it has like the live data log and you can pause it and if you click on it it shows the part of the fuel table and stuff where you're paused while it's running mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can just hit resume i'm like oh this is pretty cool and then I did some garbage stuff that's proprietary Volkswagen stuff. What What is that? Uh, that Kevin Black bullshit? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yep, everybody yeah. hates that guy. And I can tell from the 
<laughs> ECU package and stuff. He sells you that, and then he's he disappears. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, ten people are like, I bought all this, and that was it. I yep. have nothing else. And uh, so I did that software. I did a bunch of. So some guy in Pennsylvania here sells plug and play Megasquirt stuff for VRs that plug right into the socket. Mm. I was like, damn, who is this? He exists here? What? And then mm. uh, other stuff I've done is like plug and play Microsquirt for VRs. I think that same guy does it. Uh, mm. So yeah, a bunch of that. Because a lot of people won't touch that. And I'm like, cool, let's try. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. That's I the way it used to always be, just open mind, you know? Yeah, after a while, it's painful. Oh, I did a Volkswagen, a turbo air-cooled bug with a Holley uh, sniper on it, like a two-barrel sniper. That was cool. Huh. It was difficult. It had, like, a lot of crazy math signal. I'm like, we need to jam a inline fuel filter on this bitch or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, what? Uh, nothing else, I think. Have you ever experienced the... Uh, Manifold temperature fuel correction on an MS3 pulled too much fuel? No. And if it is, just flatline that bitch. Yeah, you'd have to just scale it yourself. Just trim it out. Yeah. Have you ever experienced... A lot of cars will... Stock ECU car will really do that bad. Like, because well, I used to move the IAT sensor into the intake. There's that EVAP mm-hmm. hole. And even on my wiki from 15 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like... I show a thing where I'm like, put this drill bit through... And then just hammer the sensor in lightly with like a dead blow. Like get the rib sensor from like a V6 car with the three wire MAF and the two wire IAT into the rubber. You can just drill a hole and then bop it in slightly. And then if you look in the throttle body, it's like right in line. Mm. I'm like, oh, that works great. But in an open loop speed density turbo car, uh, if you get it nice and hot and you're in traffic and the intake temperatures start flying up, uh, my buddy Chris or someone explained it to me. It's like a gas law table that HP Tuner yes. doesn't let you change. Yes. The car will slowly lean out to oblivion and shut off. Yep. But at least yeah, in MS3, you can change that. It's uh, any of the VE stuff, any of the true airflow model, Gen 3, Gen 4, all that. The air temperature, even in standalones, the, the, the ones that, like an Infinity, for example, they scale everything based on the you know the actual air temp. It's built into your air, the estimated airflow coming from your VE. It's built into that. So it's air charge. It's part of the actual equation. Hmm. So it's fed into that constantly. So, yeah. Do y'all tune third gens? I have any cameras. Depends on what's in it. Third uh, gen. Oh, GM. Yeah, yeah. third gen Camaros, Mr. Uh, all yeah, that yeah. shit. This is a good one for you. I've never used a fast IAT sensor, but he's asking what's the best fast IAT sensor. There's a motorsport one. I can't recall the the, the name of it. It's a, a little one. It's like two three hundred bucks. It works really well. Hmm. Um, I can't recall the name of it off the top of my head. What's the best fast IAT sensor that doesn't immediately heat soak? I've seen some well, crazy stuff like at DCT World Cup and stuff. My friend that has that, the Dark Hurricane, the Prime Cuts Chop Shop that's all that was doing the wheelies. Like the he was like thirteen twenty poster boy. His name's Jordan Martin, but he had that. It's the AMS Hurricane that was like wheeling through first and second gear and shit. I was looking at that car. You probably know all about it, but it had like 
IAT sensors in the air to water is like super tiny, like a rubber eraser on a pencil. I'm like, damn, like how much does that cost? Like my, I was like, I've never seen that. So it probably costs $500. Yeah. Usually the good fast response stuff is like two, 300 bucks. I can't remember who makes the, uh, it's escaping me at the time. Style tech or slide tech. I don't know. I know of the motion one, but then what's funny is I don't think that that's, if there's a delay, you already understand the delay. You don't, Mm -hmm. and a drag car, you already know when you lift, it's, it's, you see 220 through the trap, but then it carries on to 275. Like Mm. you already know that you don't really need to see it fly up and down. And, uh, I don't know for a sensor like that. Part of me is like, the fueling doesn't change that much with that radical of a temperature, so there's no need to see it that fast. But that's my boring Turbo LS junkyard car thoughts. It depends. I mean, if your process, if your sampling rate on your logging is, you know, you can sample it fast enough and you do have a fast response then, so you can pick it up quick. It's just going to depend on, you know. Well, I understand, too, there's a car, cars that go four zero need it to be fast because mm. you need more yeah. of that data right if you have a 4.0 car the iat might change like 20 degrees yeah and if you have a fast one it might be 200 degrees yeah just because of how short the window is but i'm not there yeah. i'm not that guy you're not that guy you ever hear that thing <laughs> you're not that guy pal i'm that guy <laughs> that's what i was saying about the fast temp yeah all right well i would say we just cut it off it's almost midnight and we're running (laughs) who's still on we still have 80 people watching Jeez, what the hell are you guys doing on a friday night (laughs) all right well it was awesome having you on yep thanks for joining thanks for everybody watching even though i biffed the audio for 12 minutes (laughs) i kept it exciting I should have just been like, we can hear. Why can't you guys for the rest of the <laughs> No. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll have you on it now. We'll definitely try to get everybody on again. Like I said, this year I want to actually do, uh, want to adhere to at least one person a month. I slacked. So, yeah, that's it. Everybody, right. thanks for joining in. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. See you later. Bye. See you. All right, I am out of here.